when you showed up in my life um, trying to join the band, like everybody is on board. And if I was honest with myself, I'd be like, all right, this is one of the most charismatic people that I've ever met. Like, <laughs> and I think that's what was so threatening to me because like I was like internally trying to figure out my own way to like be a front man and I knew the the insecurities that I had and I saw that you didn't share those same ones <laughs> like you just kind of were comfortable in your own skin and I was like dude I'm gonna get mowed over by this guy and like no <laughs> and, I'm gonna hate my own fucking project like why yeah. would I yeah we're always collaborating at all times with the universe I'm looking into real estate now. And so what I really want to do, yeah, 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 I know, grow <laughs> up. Uh, but yeah, so I want to, I'd like to get into a place that I could actually, you know, retrofit a room into a, it's like a studio space, like a live room for, yeah. for doing this kind of stuff. And then, you know, that doubles, basically if I have that space, have another space for where I can do vocals. So I don't have to like move shit around. There's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing worse than like having to tear down and set up all the time. Dude, I know the feeling. Like I bought a separate interface just because of that reason. And uh, yeah, I hate tearing all my stuff down and like I've drilled holes in the desk to like fit my cables in so it looks all nice. And then I got to rip it all out and it just makes it awful resetting yeah. up. There's like all these little like other aspects of media management that you don't think about. Right. And, and like <laughs> you get into it and you're like, oh yeah, if I do video production, I'm going to need to become friends with somebody who sells hard drives on the Lolo because yeah. it's like yeah. an investment SD cards that, and then, you know, when you're doing studio wiring and you're running stuff, it's like, I want to have good cables and, you know, nice, noisy noise. You know, yeah. I'm like, I swear by them. Everybody's like, that's ridiculous. That's so ridiculous for Dude, a cable, but there is like a difference. I'll use them for like monitors and stuff, but when it comes to mics, I'll just. Cause you're going I, through I've seen people stuff. like do null tests and they literally cancel each other out, like phase cancel out. So it, it's like, is this really adding anything? I don't know. I, I just like, I guess for me, I'm just looking at it like, I'm a, I try to be a better perpetrator of like just good signal yeah. so that like, there's no worry on my end that I gave bad yeah, signal like to no somebody. Doubt. Yeah. Like I'm the safety of my, yeah, cause I have Mogami cables for like my, like, uh, my monitors and then, yeah. uh, then it's a Mogami cable from the mic to the actual interface. And then like, but then, you know, if you Yeah, I bought like a five foot one cause that's all I could afford at the time. Like, <laughs> Well, dude, uh, we finally got you on the podcast. Yeah, I'm so excited, man. I'm excited to be here, dude. I'm nervous, but uh, that's just normal. <laughs> yeah, so. That's just me all the time. <laughs> yeah. Just like this frantic little, I don't know what kind of animal, but uh, I'm nervous a lot. And I'm realizing <laughs> it more and more every day. But uh, yeah, well, I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm glad that you came on, man, because like I, I feel like you were one of the people that I've been like <laughs> gassing up from the sidelines yeah. for a long time, just being like, dude, you have this talent, you have this drive and ambition. Like, what is it that's like holding you back from doing the thing that you say you want to do? And yeah, man, it's insecurities. It's just the same shit that every artist deals with. You're like, ah, oh, like uh, I'm, I don't know if it's good enough, or I don't, know. especially when you try to a b your stuff with like awesome mixes and definitely in the, yep. the world of music specifically for you like that's kind of that can be daunting because you're like there's just so many ways to get to that and what process did they use yeah and there's like no one size fits all it's like i don't know i don't know if you follow like music tiktok or whatever oh, or yeah, like production sure. tiktok and everybody has these little like tricks like if you want to sound like this 
this is what you put on your vocal chain. And that never, that hardly ever works. Like it, it depends on. There's so the, many variables. Your voice, the inflections, like uh, the room you're in. It, there's so much. The and, game field of the mic, what kind of, yeah. how hard you're hitting the compressor. Like Truthfully, like I like tinkering and I think you really need to just love the process and, and like, you just got to figure it out on your own and, until it makes sense because, yeah, you can't just take like a bunch of presets and expect it. It might work once, but it's not going to work every time. And so it, it's really good to just get in it and, and learn like why things work the way they do and yeah. the science of it behind it a little bit. I think so. I remember having somebody explain compression to me in the format of your mom told you to turn the music down. Oh, yeah, dude. Bedroom. That's a meme right now. And, uh, is it really? Yeah. Yeah, that's like, you know, the ratio is what you told her you would turn it down to right. or whatever. Like, however, like they broke it down. I just remember being like, that's that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it's a very good, good explanation of it. I feel like, uh, do you love or hate when people are like, oh, just use your ears, man, if it sounds good. I feel like you you like it because you're at a point where you have the skill set to get it to where you actually can't right. like hearing but if that were me doing. like 10 years ago, like that would upset me. <laughs> like that doesn't give me any answers. And I, I've heard people say it and I agree with it. Like, yes, it comes down to your ears and, and if it sounds good, it is good. That's all there is. Um, that's true. But like in order to get there, in order to really get it sounding good, like that's a process, man. Like yeah. you have to... You have to know where to start. You have to know where to go. It's just trial and error, man. Like, I think that's the best way. Do you feel like you've done a decent job of sort of like spending the time learning online and like, like what, what have been your like bigger influences, I guess, like lately when it comes to acquiring a new skill set and being like, oh, this is something I'm definitely going to learn to implement. Cause I send you like, I'm obviously on the music TikTok side of things. Dude, I swear we have the same feeds. Like (laughs) you'll send me stuff. And I was like, dude, I should have sent Johnny that earlier. Um, it's my love language. Yeah. My love language is <laughs> just sending people I love TikToks that I think that they would appreciate. Oh, well, I appreciate but you it. see those ones like, oh, you, here, try this new cool vocal effect the next time yeah. you're mixing your song or whatever. I mean, some of them are cool. There, There's some real gold nuggets in there. Um, well, that's good. I, the discourse being there is like what solves the problem of I don't know what you mean by – like like you said, it's kind of like disingenuous to be like, well, if it sounds good, it is good. It's yeah. Like, like but, the gatekeeping yeah. kind of attitude sucks. And so I'm just glad there's a lot of people – sharing like what they do it's cool um do back in the day there was a site called recording.org and it was just like this forum site where beginners like me like we they just pose questions and the moderators were all like esteemed sound engineers and they would just give such good information sometimes it didn't make sense because they were like way over my head with their explanations but like the moderators were just so cool that they took the time to answer. And like, if I didn't understand an answer, I would like look it up and, and learn as much as I could. But yeah, just like reading on it and just nerding out, dude. (laughs) Like I I love reading about compression and, and EQ and phase issues and, aligning and like i feel like phase is going to be one of the last things that i really tackle because i feel like i'm like i think i get it because you can hear an example of it and be like oh okay but why that happens is like such a like well it's like so like phase happens phase cancellation happens a lot when you're like micing a drum set and there's a lot of techniques to prevent it without getting too nerdy but like say you have get nerdy let your nerd shine when you have like more than one mic source so say you're micing a drum set 
and you got your kick mic here, but you got your overheads up here and the distance from those mics from the source, like your kick is like right up against usually your, your kick, kick mic is right up against your kick and you got your overheads that are like four feet away. So it takes longer for that sound to travel to the overhead mics than it does the kick mic. And so you get like and a so delay. if you look at it like on a zoomed in level, your kick is here on your overheads, but it's closer. So that little time discrepancy um, can create phase issues. Oh, so that makes sense then in phase and out of phase. Right, right. And you do you want things to be in phase? Is that what you want? Like in phase, it would make yeah. My I mean, that make me think that dude, you can go. Some of the like best engineers, they use phase to their advantage in mixing. Like you can get things slightly out of phase and it creates like tone, different tonal properties. If you pull it closer in phase, it it might like decrease the bass, but it like increases the high mids a little bit. Yeah, that's so, so if they weird. want that popping through, they they might just manipulate the phase just to get a tone that they like. I do like so. that. I like when when you get to see this opportunity for like people to start being like, yeah, I've been told my whole life not to do this thing, but I specifically seek yeah, this man. thing out because this is like a very interesting, you know, effect. Like neurologically, we're so hardwired to just like and dislike so many sounds right, right out of the gate. And so I, I feel like it's hard to sit here and say, oh, that's not good or this is not the way it should be. It's like maybe by some standard, that's probably the case. Yeah, dude. But it's not like it's a universal rule. There's no right way to write the song. Like there's no way to mix either, but there are better practices, right? And you have to learn those things to be able to yeah. get to that barrier. You know, that barrier for entry of, of becoming good is only as deep and as difficult to get through as the network of knowledge and information you can find around you to kind of help break it down a little bit. Right. And people say break the rules all the time and yeah, you definitely should and push the boundaries. But yeah, I think like there is a threshold that you need to learn. Um, so you know how and when and why to break the rules that you want to break. You got to know which rules you're breaking and it just, I think it goes better that way rather than just flying by the seat of your pants and not knowing what you're doing all the time. Right. And that comes with practice too. Like the more you do anything, the more you learn your preferences and how to get to where you're going. How big of a game changer was kind of, I feel like you've done a really good job of really diving into and figuring out it. And I mean, to the degree you would say you would mastered it like EQ when it comes to like getting a signal in and getting, you know, you say how many, what's the average number of tracks that artists give you and don't use us as an example because we just ignorantly over <laughs> No, it's fine. You. Yeah, you guys are special in that way. Like you'll throw me like more than I need and I, a lot of times I just strip it down, especially like guitar parts or something. Like it's usually, I don't know, what was the question? <laughs> I'm sorry. How do you like, what like getting to the point where you kind of, like if you pull something in, you know you can start – you can roll off certain frequencies and start getting mm -hmm. things into a pocket where it's like things aren't going to mess with other things. And like yeah. the, I, at one point I saw this EQ chart that says like where usually you can see certain instruments shine in certain frequency ranges. And when you're looking at that on a graph, it's like, okay, yeah, sure, saxophone's supposed to be sense. here maybe. Yeah, like, oh, I totally get it now. Yeah. But whenever you actually get the track in, there's always this extra like – factor of the room it was recorded in if it's an instrument that's like a raw like live instrument not like a um like a software instrument or something like mm -hmm. that and then you know with vocals i would imagine there's got to be some like quick cleanup tips and tricks that like, yeah like there's always like beyond like bass guitar I'll, I'll high pass most things um because like even if you can't hear that low end in a track there's a lot of if you look at it on like 
I don't know what's called a spectrogram. Or if you look at the uh, the frequency visually, um, th there still could be a lot of low end rubble, and that affects your master and how loud you can get things. Even because that low end, those low um, those low waves take up a lot of space. Like so, when you got a compressor or a limiter on the master, those big low waves are are going to hit that before before your high end does. And that's like, yeah, like I, I know a lot of like us amateur mixers, like we struggle with getting our songs competitively loud, like yeah, up against like a dual, or I was going to say dual leaf of it, like up against any mainstream artist song, like they're always like setting the, uh, the example for how loud you can get something. <laughs> so, and, and I know people are like, they hate the loudness wars or whatever. They don't. Like, you should just make it how it sounds the best and with the most dynamics and don't worry about how many luffs it's hitting. And um, that's all true and great. But, like, at the end of the day, you want to sound competitive. You don't want somebody to turn on your music and it's, like, six decibels lower than what you just listened to on Spotify. Right. So, like, there is a lot of EQ can help in those areas, too, beyond just tone. But, like, make sure you're shaving off those unused bass frequencies but like, dude, EQ was tough for me. Like I didn't, I didn't like really dive into EQ. I don't know, till later, later in the, uh, the game of mixing, but I don't know. It's just kind of like, I know there's a lot of people that notch it out and they'll like pull a, pull an EQ band up like really high and kind of sweep until they find frequencies that don't sound good. And then they'll cut those out. And, um, but out of context, if you just if you're filter sweeping, you gonna have... sound bad if you have like <laughs> this narrow frequency, just ear piercing. So you got to be careful with how many like dips and cuts you're doing or boost. But basically, just do a low cut if it's not the base. Like clear up to a hundred, you're gonna be fine. Um, maybe seventy five, and then really just take time to listen to it and be like, man, I, I like the uh, high mids or it sounds a little muddy. Maybe I should bring three to five K up a little bit and that will clean it up or cut out some of the mud in like the three to 400 range. And then that will kind of add this high end sheen to it without really having to boost. I think a lot of people just starting out overdo um, EQ and they overdo compression. Like, and then you thin out your mix and it's maybe loud, but it doesn't have any body to yeah, it. Yeah. Because you're like, I know I'm supposed to EQ this. Um, I know like I'm supposed to throw a compressor on here, so I'm just going to do it. <laughs> and like before you know, you have like 20 dBs of gain reduction on your master and everything sounds so squashed, but you just, I, I've made such crappy mixes, but I just stuck to it because I knew I was supposed to throw a compressor on there. So it sounded awful. And the reason was my compression settings, but <laughs> I didn't want to take it off because I wanted to be as much like the professionals as I could. So yeah, just really diving in and learning learning your tools is it's a good idea. <laughs> context matters. Like yeah. you have to have a good context reference point for where you're trying to get to, and it's like uh, like ozone and stuff like that. I think is helpful because it lets people see like what you're kind of what like visually looking at like the the waveforms and being like, oh, okay, all right, like yeah, this doesn't have anywhere near as much high end on it as I thought that it, maybe I needed or whatever. It's kind of like reverse engineering if you have the ability to kind of get some good 
professionally studio mastered tracks, you can kind of reverse engineer a little bit how you get to those tones. Like Absolutely. I, I, I liked whenever we got like the mixes from Alias from Bert mm-hmm. and just being able to send those over to you and be like, what, like, here's these, you know, mix buses for individual, like, or, part, you know, parts of the song, like arrangements, like, you know, here's the guitars, here's like the effects bus, here's the vocal, here's everything like kind of separated out and you can kind of hear how it sounds in it, the way it, not it should, but the way if you were doing a mix to try to match his, you would, it should sound like this. And here's why, because it like, when I listen to the vocal stems for like volatile, for example, yeah. they're way more wet than I realized they were. Yeah. And I might ask for them in a full mix to be a little bit more wet because they don't, it doesn't like permeate the rest of the mix as well. Yep. And really that could be like an EQ for the reverb or the delay or something like that to kind of let certain parts shine through. And I didn't, you know, when you're making, I feel so bad for it. Like most engineers that deal with any band or artist fucking ever that's giving mixed notes and I hate giving them. So I, I always buffer my notes before I make them like to Burt. You're usually, you're really good at like describing what you want and maybe you don't have the technical terms for it, but like when you use the term wet, like I, I want my vocals a little wet or like, dude, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. You know and, what I'm talking about. Cause I mean, I'm referring to it in terms of like a dry and a wet knob. Like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, just turn that knob up a little bit, but really I know, you know what I mean is dude, that I just so want to feel it a little bit more saturated in the mix than it is currently yeah. or whatever. Yes. Uh, dude, it's so much better than like an artist giving you feedback and being like, yeah, you need to like pull down 400 by like, 2.5 db and like just getting super technical with you and acting and they're not looking now. at your mix so that's like, not what's going on here man but um no dude i appreciate your feedback like it's always pretty clear and i usually agree with it like well, even when you were like first starting out and doing mixes and you were just doing stuff yourself you like that i knew they weren't like the best mixes but i was like this is better than i'm hearing what most people are putting out in this area or in my area where i'm i'm trying to listen you listen to any of your friends that are in local bands with you when you're growing up and you're like the the (laughs) spread between the quality of mixes is insane because everybody goes to their friend or this other person or somebody they trust who's like an old head who has a bunch of analog gear and a studio and it's like that's his metric for selling people and going there because it's a cool experience. You go into this nice room and it's got a nice live room, nice wood everywhere and sound paneling everywhere. You're like, oh, this is – I know we're going to get a great, great. mix out. Yeah. And we've been in some really ama- – like just since pursuing music professionally, like I've been in some really nice studios. And it's like that is not what make- – I and I've gotten mixes out of those studios where I'm like – Ouch. This yeah. sucks. Yeah. Like yep. I remember for a long time, honestly, like before we started mixing things with you, every, it was like we had to go to these people that I knew at least did nominally decent mixes that I liked. Mm-hmm. But even still, I could listen and A and B it with some of my favorite records and be like, these are not the same. And then I remember being in House Aloud with David Bendith in New Jersey. Oh, wow. And yeah. it's like right outside of Hoboken. I went and saw the Carlos's Bakery it's from like, like the, heroes, the Cake dude. Boss. Dude, he's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, when you listen to him talk, you're like, oh, I, he gets it. This is in his bones. Like, this is what he was like destined to do because he's so fucking good at it. But he was mixing, um, Sempaternal for Bring Me the Horizon. So I'm listening to all these songs before that record eventually, I think, leaked inadvertently from the the U.S. version of Epitaph Records. Yeah. And so they just, I think they just dropped the record not too long after that just to not lose any of the steam. Right. But I remember listening to it like in the late fall early winter before it had come out 
and he was mixing like I remember hearing some of those songs and being like, oh my god, this sounds so good. That's and then great. he'd walk us around like you know out of uh, his office room where he has like speakers that he can listen to it in there and not be in the mixing console room where it sounds a little different. Mm-hmm. And he you know you walk out and you do this basically like you go through the lobby area, then there's like a the actual room where the SSL is. He's got like these two massive SSL boards and he's pulling it up and you can see the faders like move automatically from whatever right. he's programmed for for certain parts. You just saw a recall to the yeah, and so he would like recall whoever his like mix engineer was that he was working with. He's like, yeah, pull up uh, tracks like sixteen through thirty or whatever, and there's like all their guitar tracks. And I was like, how many guitar? Well, like, what's the most number of guitar tracks you have on one of their songs right now? And he was like, uh, I think this one has like a hundred and something tracks on it. And I was like, just for oh guitar, my. And, but it's not just as simple as like quad tracking your guitars and you've got like lefts and rights and there you go. That's it. Right. It's like individual parts of songs. There might be some like dissonant, really weird, resonant, uh, you know, Ebo style effect of just you want to build ambience and that's getting, there might be like four to five takes of that. And each one is EQ just slightly differently yep. so that whenever he's able to kind of fade them just up and them underneath it, yeah, you really see where the art of mixing and mastering comes in. And then that kind of just shifted everything for me. I was like, Oh yeah. The, the other side of the pendulum swing is you say, Oh, I'm a band. Now I got to have a hundred guitar tracks. Right. Not what it requires. But I think if you know what the bill you're trying to, you know, satisfy is, you know, that there are going to be certain things that you need to kind of aim for. And, and that it does kind of come with this, like, Oh, well, this is overproduced. It's like, but that doesn't spell bad to me. That spells no. like the extra attention and put care. time and love into this. Yeah. Thing. Like, and like, that's how you get these really magical moments in songs. And to me, moment building in songs is, yeah. is the best part of music. Absolutely. And like, it doesn't matter if you great. can't pull it off live. Like I've heard so many bands use that as an excuse as to why they don't put more effort into their records is like, well, I want to stay true to to who we are and what we are. So that we don't record mentality. anything that we can't play live. Like, man, you're missing such an opportunity, like mixing and producing. Like that's its own instrument. Like you can use that. It really just is. Anything that's in your head, just put it out there and like preserve it in time forever by recording it. But like, man, yeah, I think like one of the like one of the biggest differences I hear in like say a super professional mix versus an amateur mix um has a lot more to do with production and like structuring of the song than it, yeah, composition than it even does with the mix. And it's like not uh, if this was EQ'd a little better then this would have sounded awesome. Like no, it's it's this nuanced kind of art that you got to learn of production and like how different inter- instruments interact with each other. And um, yeah, you just got to really invest time in that. And yeah. Like, I, th- I think to me, like I'm looking at it like, this is your art. This is your craft. If this is really, truly something you're passionate about and yeah. it's your art, you want to spend the extra time on it. And there's, you know, a point of diminishing returns where like you're making the perfect, the enemy of the good, but at the end of the day, if you've got a vision for where you want your music to be and you're really shooting for it, it's like you need to make peace with the fact that this might take a little longer than you want to. Yeah. And it's hard because when you first write a song and you're going through the mixing and mastering process, like right now we have Spitfire is for getting back the, the mixes it's a for that. banger of the song. I must I'm say. really excited to get it out. I would love to have it out like tomorrow, but yeah, I don't want to waste it. And so 
I don't have if we don't have anything to follow up behind that with that is like going to start to spell out this direction that we're kind of like shifting and heading into. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say like, oh, well, I don't want to spend the time on it. I just want to get it done and move on to the next one. It's like I'm not garbage collecting songs for my discography. <laughs> like I like if I want to have if I'm going to do it, I I want to really stick the landing on those moments because you can tell like when you hear a moment in a song that is just oh, that's the one. And everybody's got a song that they can think of when it comes to a song moment that really like speaks to them. doesn't matter if it's like just the stomp and clap for um, We Will Rock You or whatever for Queen. Right. It's like the first time you hear that through pretty much any shitty car speakers or your little whatever. It's so crazy. We used to have these like little tiny stereos that we like – would tote around as like that's the the benchmark for what makes music sound good. So yeah. it sounds good on this piece of shit Iowa three disc CD changer, and and then you start getting like better audio reference materials to be able to listen to things through, and you're like, oh, that's actually it sounds clearer, but maybe not better the it's way like I awful mix. Yeah, I don't, I don't I don't love it as much as I loved it in my '92 Cavalier. I don't know why. Yeah, man. But that's kind of like the the beauty of it. There isn't really this like right way to do it. But I, I wanted to jump back to you were saying about uh, it's not necessarily even just like the mix, but like the production that goes into mm-hmm. a song. And so like one of the other reasons why it made it like a no brainer for us to come to you was not just like our familial ties of like how long we've known you and yeah. and whatnot. But like I've always watched the things that you were doing with with your music as you were writing it. And you were always trying and doing weird things, whether you were like in your infancy, whenever I first caught you doing it, I was like. Oh, that's cool. I love that he did that. I would love to have that in in something that we would do. And then and that's really all like creating your vision is is just cherry picking the things that you influences that you take in musically that you love or you know, if you're a videographer or a photographer like visually and and trying to implement them in a way that they're going to they're going to manifest differently no matter what. Just like you can't throw presets on a signal chain and have it turn out great. It's like your attempt at doing something that you've seen is never going to turn out exactly the same for all the million variables that you'll come across that won't allow it to. Right. But if you, if you've really liked this thing and you can find a way to kind of like tastefully incorporate it and mix it into your, your, your art, you end up with these very cool and often like new and unique interpretations of this thing that has maybe been done a bunch of times before, but maybe not like this or maybe not to this degree. Yeah. And I, it just made it really easy. Like I, I always, like, I feel like I'm constantly, if people are asking me for like, who, do, who do I trust to like mix and master? I'm like, I'm constantly shoving people your direction because I'm like, one, you want to do it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, thank you. Appreciate that. But that hunger and desire that you have is like that is – that thing you're nerding out on is your yeah. thing. Like you don't just like mixing and mastering. Obviously, you like to – you're doing like beat production, which I want to get into. Yeah, and, sure. uh, you know, you like writing. I think you're a great melody writer. I think you write really catchy, memorable things because you think about melody in a very unique and interesting way. Thanks, man. And, and so it's always fun to write with you and it's fun to be able to turn our music over to you and be like, These, this is what it is at, at its base. I, we have ideas for like moments we want throughout here. Like, can we kind of, what do you, uh, we trust you to understand what our vision is. And that was another aspect that made you a no brainer is I was like, I don't have to explain what my music tastes are to Jordan. Like yeah. we've grown up listening to the same shit and we have these pop music sentimentalities that we love and we like rock and we like this and that. And it's, we're not genre exclusive. Yeah. And, we just kind of get each other and like, dude, I've been so blessed to have you guys because like, not only is it like music that's down my alley to work on, but dude, I think it's like every kind of up and coming producer engineer's goal is to like 
man, I need material to work on. Like, how can I get better if, and like, rather than me having to like create a whole song from scratch just to practice, like at my chops, yeah, like you guys are over here making music that I like and sending it my way. And like, here's a stems, do your thing to it. Yeah. And like for the past couple of years, I've just been able to like benefit from you guys making music and having that be material for me to to hone my craft on and like i'm so thankful for that dude well it was easy to hard to come by yeah it i'm sure it is because then like not like you said the time it takes to write your own song and get through all the tracks and creating that you would be doing on your own yeah just to get to the point where you can start using your chops that you want for mixing and mastering right there's like a a curve that's going to take place in how fast you can get to the point you want to be whatever that is i mean you set the definition for what makes you a successful mixing and mastering engineer right but like for us, it was it was really cool because I was like, your skill sets had come such a long way. And even if you felt like you were like, oh, I don't know if I'm like quite there yet. I don't know if I want to be doing your mixes yeah. yet. But like oh, I can like help and maybe with some of the production, I was like, you were very well clearly past the tipping point where it was like, you just need to dive in and start doing it whether you like it or not. And we need to be able to say, yeah, this is signed off on. We can make notes and make adjustments to get it to where we want it to be. But you know – how to get it to a place where I, I'm, I feel very like safe and confident in my mixes with you because I'm happy to know that the TLC that you put into it yeah. manifests in the way it sounds. And to me, that's your passion for caring about how, you know, good music, whatever that genre is, should sound in its own respective like space. You're aware of that. And, and then to add in on top of that, that, you know, we share a lot of like I love when a new record comes out and you and I are I'm like, oh, you're like, oh did you listen to this yet? You need yeah. to listen to this record yet. And and then I – and I'm – I don't know if you're like this, but I would imagine you probably are – super finicky about taking on anybody else's music suggestions. So I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, yeah. right. But like <laughs> yeah, I want – I'll have to check that out then. Yeah. Yeah, I want Never the suggestions, it. but I'm also like I have to be – to pick up a new artist, like I have to be so in the right mood and mindset and headspace – to, to take on a new sonic sound from some artist and be like, oh, okay, all right, I had time to dive into this. Absolutely, dude. And they're few and far between, but when a record comes out and you and I are already a fan of that band and you're like, oh, did you hear what they did with this? Like, listen to this track. Oh, my God, yeah. this is amazing. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just feel like being in sync with you musically has been a very helpful part of the journey for me too because, I mean, at its core, we're all learning and – to be able to do it with somebody that we've basically grown up with is like even better because it's like, there aren't any other people in this. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend anybody, but like (laughs) there's not anybody else in the area that does the quality of work that you do. Like there there just isn't, and I won't fucking hear it. So don't even try. But like, that is a big problem. And it's not because there aren't other people that want to get there. It's because you aren't teaching a class or there's nobody in this area that's going to be able to educate the people that are like the bedroom producers in the area to be able to do stuff. So they're going to the same online resources to get their information as everybody else does. Yeah. And in this like onslaught of all this information that you can kind of digest and take in and internalize and try to put forth into your mixes, there's a lot of room for error too. And it's hard when you don't have somebody that can kind of like walk you through with knowledge, why maybe this thing that they're doing, they're not getting the result they like. But they don't know how to get anything else because they're like, I don't know really fully how this process works other than what I was told this would help with. And it got me to a point where, you know, it's like you're not helping me leave this off in an interesting place. You're basically um, stuck in a place where this mix is not going to be good and I don't know what to do to make it better. No, I feel you, man. And like maybe help me out on this. But like it seems like 
locally and, and maybe this is globally, but this is one of those areas where it's such a you're either passionate about music or you're not. Like if you're into mixing and mastering and yeah. production, like it's such a fiery thing that like people tend to have be very guarded with it. And like there's been a couple of um call them producers that I met around the area where like, dude, I think we could have like did something really cool together. But it's kind of like this standoffish response of like, I don't, I don't know if I want to let anybody in to, to kind of critique my process or, or how I do things. It's just so hard to find somebody that you can communicate with, almost like um, on another level like that, where right. it's just like, I don't know. There's a lot of hard, like, cold feelings when it comes to sometimes like trying to collaborate with another producer because you step on toes a lot and yeah and I don't know if that's why it is that way or it's not, certainly that's like, definitely a part of it like that is easily one of the reasons why that happens I think the other reason is maybe insecurity they're like I don't want to like you said like I don't want to be critiqued and then another angle of it is sometimes like I don't want to give out this thing that I learned like I learned this and if I give you this information, I, I look at it which in the way that I believe is the correct way. That there's no way I could perfectly emulate the exact same thing that you did. Um, right. I, and, and because the signals aren't always the same, like the tracks aren't always the same. So there's no way you teaching me this like dissolves your ability to continue to use that information to your benefit and – keep going down, you know, to whoever your mentor is in that case. Yeah. They're, you know, they're going down their own rabbit hole and learning and perfecting and, and refining their process every step of the way. So it's like, it, it is partially that, it's partially the gatekeeping, but it's almost foolish to think that you're going to have any trick up your sleeve that if you gave to anybody else would now diminish your value as right. a producer. It's like, exactly. I, I don't understand that mentality. It's that scarcity mentality where you're like, oh, if we, it's a famine mentality. Like, oh, if I do this, and I put it out there, then there's not going to be any work for me because now there this guy does job. it. Yeah. It's like that's so hardly the case because there's never a shortage of people that need this work done. Mm-hmm. There's a shortage of people that can do it well and they can do it at a price point that like, you know, certain people are going to sign off on or everybody's happy with or whatever. But you've come a really long way, man. And and like I, it, it's really exciting to see that, you know – what was it, like two or three months ago? You're like, uh, yeah, I can start taking a look at some of these mixes, but I am a little buried right now. So I've got like, yeah. and that's good. Like, I, I want you to be, I want you to be able to like get out of working whatever nine to five you have to do in the meantime. That's like your bread and butter situation, right? To get you to the point where you can spend more time doing the thing I mean, you love. Man, I am still a long way off, but like, I never even thought I would be here. And I'm like, just so thankful. It's, it's exciting, man. And like, I'm excited to see you guys growing. And it seems, Dude, you guys were on a Sheets commercial. Like, just in the past <laughs> couple of years, you've had so many cool things happen, like um, Relic Arts, if you don't know who I'm talking about. But, uh, <laughs> like, uh, Alex Goot and, yeah. and just uh, getting on his distro platform. Like, it seems like a very uh, – I tried, like, looking the stem.io. Like, IS. IS. I don't even know how, like – is that kind of a closed off environment? Yeah, it is. Because I, so, I was like, like, how do I get on here? Like, uh, would I? And so you should be on there actually now just because you were already yeah. a part of something like the the – because we were doing like paying plus offering like a split percentage too because I was like 
the least we can do if this is the price you're agreeing to do this for. And you like, what? we had the, co- the talk like three or four months ago. You're like, yeah. I'm going to have to bump my prices up a little bit. And I mean, I'm in that place too, like professionally where I'm just like, I, I totally get it. Yeah. And part of the game is we just have to keep putting stuff out. And if that's a little extra dig each time we release something, it's like, it is what it is. There's four or five of us in the band. Like if it's an extra hundred bucks, like I guess we're all pitching in an extra 20 if we don't want to have it all come out of the band funds or whatever, you yeah. know, like. Dude, it's, I appreciate you for that too. Like you've been such a a good just kind of person to lean on as I learn those things because I don't know about you, but like when I negotiate like pricing and all that, I'm, I don't know if it's like the people pleaser in me, but it is like, I'm just scared to death. I have what, I don't know, but like, I'm just so worried about pissing somebody off. Like, I'm never going to come back to him. He just like said he needs more money. Like, (laughs) yeah, I don't don't know why I get so scared. And like, like half the people that I raise my price with, like if they wouldn't agree to that, like, and we couldn't figure something out, it's okay. I'll find more work. Like, right, right, right. And like, and you know that. And like, so like why you let that stop yeah. you is like beyond me. And everybody's been so cool too. There is not one person when I, a couple months ago and raised my prices, like nobody's like, dude, you suck. Like everybody's like, yeah, totally, man. I totally well, it would be it. one thing if you were like not good at what you did and you were raising your prices. You're like, I'm already not thrilled and you're telling me I got to pay more. Like yeah. eat a dick. <laughs> but if you're clearly, it's like everybody who, who knew they had to have known a price increase was coming because you're like, I'm getting away with murder right now, getting these mixes for this price. And there is something to be said for that. Like, I, I mean, I can say just personally, like I just had dealt with a project like last week. I took on a last second weekend project that, uh, I could, my buddy Kenan pitched my way Yeah, and it was like weekend turnaround. And now normally I can charge an hourly editing rate and then I can be like, all right, but there's a rush delivery on these. So there's a weekend fee and then there's a rush delivery fee. And those kind of increase the price. And then if I work more than eight hours in a day, there's a, a price increase for the hourly rate over any hours over eight. Cause like, why the fuck shouldn't there be? Right. And, uh, and so, but the feedback, so I was doing work for a client who had two other clients that are huge. Like they're like huge clients. And, uh, I don't want to name them cause I don't want to like piss <laughs> anyone off, but the, the client number one, who was like that, their whole reason this event summit is happening um, is giving me feedback and edit on the notes that were given to me by the client I was directly working with. So I've got a point of contact and I've got these two clients over here that they're going to them to get the work done. Okay. And so as that funnels to me, I get my notes from my client and I'm dealing with those and I'm making the material like to spec the, what their, you know, Excel sheet notes gave me. They were very, very clear. And I was like, okay, this is great. And then I start getting feedback on like how I'm not you know, uh, this just the, the audio in this just seems like it's a little jumbled. Like I can't quite hear what this person's saying. I'm like, hmm. like the client, like the client's client is saying this. I'm like, this is the footage that they gave to my client to give to me to use. Right. And they didn't know that like the audio and the, like the dialogue and the music is already baked into this. And like, I'm not going to be able to finesse this. I can use all the video and none of the audio mm-hmm. and not have any of the sound bites because I don't have any raw dialogue clips to work with. Or I can just rehash what you did and kind of finesse things in a very particular way to make it so that it's not recognizable as being the same thing it was. And it's like right. a new interpretation of that thing. And uh, so I'm like getting really frustrated. I'm literally, I was supposed to be done with this by end of day Monday this past week. And I did, I was still dealing with notes from them on like Wednesday. Meanwhile, I'm on a gig with 
one of my bread and butter clients here out of State College, KCF Technologies, and I'm working on a massive project for them with like a Fortune 50 company. Nice. And I've got some serious like heads to turn with this project, so I cannot mess this up. And I'm down there like exhausted, flying. It's like a quick turnaround gig. And I got to film, do a bunch of interviews both days, set up, tear down, driving an hour and a half, two hours one way, coming back and like flying to Atlanta to do this. And dealing with these notes at the end of the night, like, hey, if you can get to these notes tonight, I'm like, I'm going to do my absolute best because, like, that's what I'm here for. But, like, we are already two days past when we were supposed to be doing it. And I, it just got to the point where when the, the project was done, like, where, like, the event was happening on the 4th and the 4th had come and it was like there was no more work to, to do. <laughs> the project is definitively over. Yeah. I felt bad because I was like, I'm not going to bill these guys for my hourly. I know how many hours I put in, 16 right. Hours at you know eighty bucks an hour is like a homie rate for a client that I've never worked with before to a friend. I mean, I'm like not gonna try to like gouge them because I want to work with them again because it's like a really nice client. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just felt guilty. I was like, look, like I usually do charge like a weekend rush fee, a weekend fee, and a rush fee, and these other things. But I was like, I I honestly feel guilty that I wasn't able to fully give you as per your clients once the videos that they needed. And all they were were videos that were playing before, like in between segments at a summit on stage for, okay, yeah. you know, in Miami. And so I was like, okay, I feel bad. Like, I don't want to charge you the full rate. So I'm just charging you, I'm billing you the, the hours I worked in the editing and that's it. And I sent it over and, and he was the guy who was my direct contact was flying to uh, London from Miami. So he was like, Hey, sorry, I'm getting this a bit late. And he was like, um, don't worry about that at all. My, <laughs> this client was so, so difficult to work with. And yeah. like, I cannot stress it enough. They were expecting a miracle and you went above and beyond. And I'm extremely thankful for the work that you did do. And we ended up using a lot of the the material that you gave us anyway. And so he was like, please do not feel bad. He was like, by all means, bill me what you should be billing me normally. (laughs) And so he saw my invoice then and he comes back. He's like, oh, I'm circling back. He's like, it seems like I have got these emails out of order. He was like, "Um, this price should be actually like – and he rounded it up like another thousand dollars. Yes, that's and awesome. I, and I was, I was like, immediately, you need to know you're the nicest client of all time. <laughs> like, are you aware of that? And uh, but in the meantime, I here I was feeling bad because I wasn't delivering because there's this like tertiary third client aspect of notes that I had to pay attention to that I really couldn't so have any impact with because I had no raw material to work with. Right. And so uh, yeah, I mean, you're afraid to like tell somebody what your price is. You're like, oh, they're gonna be so mad, and they were in a pinch. So like, they were gonna have to pay somebody this no matter what. Yeah. And and I'm aware of that, but I'm like, again, I don't want to gouge them. Like, I want to work with these guys again. They do a lot of really interesting things, a lot of huge clients that they work with, and I want to keep that going. But yeah. the only way to get there, in my brain, is to not piss them off and not say anything that could possibly upset them. That's right. Yep. And it's, and it's not true because it's like, they, like when they case in point, like the client was like, no, you're, this is what you did work that is well worth what you paid what you're asking me to pay you and also you asked me to underpay you so like why don't you just bump that up <laughs> i was like yeah i'll just flat rate you for the project then and call it a day and he was like sounds good to me do you find it easier to flat rate rather than charge by the hour fucking fortunately because yeah I, I think it's like you want to get the project done and you know how long it's nominally going to take you if you're if you're comfortable with setting a flat rate for yourself that says this is 500 for whatever this project is and you know that that project is not going to take you more than the number of hours that you right. deem is okay for you to continue to work on something. 
because you're a bells and whistles kind of person like I am. Like if I spend yeah. anything extra time <laughs> I spend on something is the bells and whistles and the fucking sprinkles on the cupcake. Like I could spend two weeks editing your vocal, but right. I'm not going to charge you for that. Right. That's and also me, like, it's not beneficial. And- it's not beneficial to your time. Like right. there's no reason to do that to yourself. And nine times out of 10, your client doesn't honestly want that either. They want the delivery. They want the mm-hmm. deliverable that they're trying to get at a price point. And so a flat rate's an easy way to have people be like, hey, you're not going to have any, you're not going to incur any extra costs. And so now I've started to hybrid it a little bit where it's like a flat rate. But if we get to a point where we need to do an extensive amount of edits, then it's going to go up. It's like, hey, this is a little past the scope of uh, what we right. agreed on. Right. And I don't want to be burnt for doing it and then spending more time on something. It's every extra hour I spend, I'm watching. I think about it in terms of, okay, if this project is $1,000 is $1, and it takes me, you know, eight hours to do it. My rate is X dollar. Now, if it takes me 16 hours to do it, I literally have the amount of hourly that I was making to do this project. And right. I, I, you have to set this like dumb metric for yourself. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, I'm not going to be, I refuse to make less than $50 an hour at any project I do ever again, ever, 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 ever. Like I'm not <laughs> going to do it because it's not worth, it's not that it's not worth my time. It's not worth the time it takes for me being able to do the other things I'm trying to do. I've got a podcast. I've got the band. I've got clients that I like to work with that pay me very well to do the work that I do. And so it's like I have to value my time and treat it accordingly. And everybody does. And so, yeah, but when you feel bad kind of raising your prices, it's like, no, I'm going to be going through one. I'm letting them ride this year because they have already gone over their budget. A couple of my bread and butter clients have like, oh, we've got like – 20,000 for you for this year. And mm. then we're I'm like, we've been past that since March. And so I'm like, and we're still booking me. Are you yeah. sure? This is, I'm like, I don't want my client to get in trouble with their, their bosses for spending more money than they should be. But at the same time, it's like, they're coming to me because they need them material. So I just need to treat it like, okay, like I'm not going to gouge them right now, but I did let them know, Hey, like 2024 new prices are going to be going up a little bit. And, um, and then some of my clients are like, well, that's fine. Like, we'd actually like to talk to you about, like, locking you in under contract. I think if we could oh, just dude. do, like, a, a retainer for you for yes, sir. Hour, I'm like, yeah, all right. Dude, I, the retainer's the goal. Like, that's that's awesome. Yeah. So but, so you're not, like, hard up for work. Like, like throughout the year, do you have, like, dry seasons? Or yeah, is of it course. It's, it's freelance. So at the end of right. the day, like, there's no consistent paycheck no matter what. It's just, like, that's what right now the heck out of me. Like, I'm in a spot where I have no choice but to keep this going. However, if you can kind of bank on getting, like, you do this thing pretty well too, where like you do like mixing and live sound engineering for like uh, churches and stuff like that. Yeah. And those are interconnected communities. So it's like, you know, any, any one of them in there that has like a country, a son who's doing a country album or whatever that needs it mixed and mastered. Right. You, you <laughs> get these kind of like word of mouth gimmies that get passed to you. And th- that's like an aspect that I have truly benefited from in terms yeah. of like just being a, a social butterfly and being around and having people know my name. And I'm also like kind of an out, landishly like brash and outward spoken person so it's not hard to hear about me have you subscribed to the collab or die podcast (laughs) uh but you know i I think that there aren't there there are these not like uh like skill leaders Mm -hmm. and so that's what i would consider you to be for your craft like you're a skill leader and so it's like people are going to need these things from you like to me it's easy for me to actually pass a project on to you that requires like some of your immediate attention and to be able to pay you more than you normally charge me if I can bill it forward to the client and I don't have to worry about taking care of the this nuanced aspect of it. If gotcha. the budget allows for it, it's like, yeah, of course. I'm not that's not saying like take your client's money and spend it frivolously. It's like right. 
take your client's money and spend it wisely so that you can get faster turnaround and get them outsource it. Yeah. Get them. There's certain things you're going to want to do and and you can't go down every rabbit hole on your own. Like I've got a a decent skill set when it comes to mixing and mastering for videography, when it comes to like, you know, timeline editing and dealing with like basically leveling. And, but that's not to say that like, I need to, I want to go through and spend time being like, ah, actually we can compress the sound a little bit more for this broom sweeping along the floor so that yeah. it sounds more prevalent in this video. It's like, mm-hmm. I, at that point, if that's the hair we're splitting, I'm just going to like reach out to somebody and be like, hey, I need you to foley this. Like, this right. is the rate I can pay you to do that. And because so that's you, what I'm making. You have your clear like lines that you you don't cross into. Try I'm still to. like, yeah, I'm still working on those. Like some things I just can't let go. And then I obsess over it. And even my wife's like, give up already. Like just, on what? <laughs> she's like, give up. Like I'm never working gonna make on it. a mix for like two months. <laughs> she's like, why are you still working on that song? It's like, I, I have no idea. It's just something doesn't feel right yet. And yeah, but there's like, like something to be said for you having that. It doesn't ear. even matter. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it does yeah. matter. Cause it matters to you. Cause you're putting your name. That's the other side of it is at the end of the day, when you're releasing content for when you're helping other people create their art, and they're yeah. using you and they're talking about you as the one who did it. This oh, is why yeah. I don't like to give uh, raw files for photos out to clients because I'm like, I, it doesn't matter if I even like your edit. If somebody sees that edit and thinks that I'm the one who did it and they want to come to me for that and I can't replicate it because it's not what I would have done. That makes sense. It's like I'm. it's not just the good. It's the, also the bad of like what if somebody is terrible at editing and yeah. they do something where like the highlights in the photo are clipping or like the audio is clipping. And they're like, oh, yeah, Jordan recorded this for us. Yep. You're like, uh-uh, he did not. No, I've been in situations uh, like, dude, there's this one guy, the song was, it was just kind of awful, but I was like, dude, please, you can do whatever you want with the song, but please do not tag me in your post. Like, yeah, don't mention that it was mixed by me. Like, let's just move on from this because he was on a tight deadline for whatever reason. I don't think the deadline even mattered but for to him self-inflicted deadline yeah and he's like well, i'm i want to put it out i'm ready and like i was not okay with it but i was like here you go man i was just happy to get it off my plate because right. i was stressing over it but it's like no nah, don't don't tag me please well at a certain level like like i know some photographers that are they have some really nice like they have big clients like some of the people that i toured with are now touring photographers for some major artists and so mm-hmm. Um, but then those artists post their thing and I'm like, oh, they didn't tag you. And it's like, well, in your pre-agreed upon, you know, contract of you working with this person, they're not going to tag you right? in everything. They may, they, I mean, you can spell out in your contract, like, Hey, I'm going to use all these photos that I'm hiring you to take on tour, but I'm paying you well enough to not have to tag you and everything. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like, oh, okay. All right. Well then there's like this un, that's kind of like how much should influencers make? It's like, there's no actual number for this. And so it really just comes down to what you want to barter for. And you have to be able to go to bat for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Going to bat for myself. <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You paid me enough to justify, like, if I got paid a certain, like for you, if I were mixing in this client has this thing they want to go out and they want to release, I'd be like, hey, like, uh, you paid me this amount and I, so I don't want to be tagged in it. Like I, you know, you should just be able to say that. That's just mm-hmm. the bottom line. Like that's also your artistic integrity that's out there as well. Yeah. And if you're like, this is a little rushed and it's not where I would want it to be and you don't really seem to want to spend the time or the extra money on getting it where I would love it to be. And right. that's fine. That's your prerogative. This is your art. You decide when it's done for you. But if I'm helping you make this art and my name's going to be attached to it, 
it's going to be where I want it to be. Yeah, I want it to represent but if me. But if you want to put it out now, I do not want my name attached to it. I don't need to feel bad about it. It's not like it's bad. I just know I would do more to it. Right. And those are, you know, I think most people would appreciate that honest conversation being had with them if they're capable of understanding where it's coming from. Some people can take that as a slight. And at that point, like, I'm not trying to kiss anybody's ass to get them to understand how what I'm trying to say to them. I'm not ever trying to go out and maliciously mess anybody's, like, right. feelings <laughs> up or, like, don't hurt. Don't have time for that. Yeah, like, I'm just, like – you just need to understand, like, this is how it is for me. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard conversation to have because you got to have a conversation with somebody that doesn't want to hear what you're about to tell them. Absolutely. Hopefully yeah. you don't end up in that position, though. Comes and goes, man. Yep. Uh, so you were telling me, like, a little while ago or, like, what, a week or so ago I was asking about you. Um, I, I've been working with a couple of, like, rappers in the area, and they're always looking for beats. And it's yeah. like – the three that I'm I'm thinking of specifically, all super talented in their own regard. One of them has a uh, very meticulous brain, very capable of like the entire grandiose vision of like the song, getting it recorded and everything, and then getting it into a release strategy that works for getting it out there. The other one is just super, super, super talented, but does not spend any of the time in the back end on like that side of things and doesn't – he's kind of a purist in his own regard. He yeah. likes his niche and that's where he wants to be and – I think it can be stifling, but it is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other one is like he's really, really talented and fun and like he's energetic. He's charismatic. He's, he writes pretty good hooks for being a rapper. Yeah. And not that rappers can't write good hooks, but like <laughs> I would not expect <laughs> him to be as good as he. He's kind of like an idiot savant when it comes to like how good a, of a hook he can write. Right. Just if he has a little bit of time and some space to work with something. But – is terrible at like get, taking care of its distribution and really having executing on a release strategy or mm-hmm. really understanding what goes into the mixing mastering process. Doesn't want to buy a lot of his beats, so he do, releases a lot of stuff on like SoundCloud or whatever. Or just rip it off, it, yeah. And and that's fine if that's the route you want to go. But I'm like, at some point or another, it, you have to invest into your art. And if you're not going to invest in your art, you can't get mad when you get to a point where you're not seeing any of the returns that you want because you didn't invest into your art. That's right. It just is what it is. Like it's not it's not like a slight against anybody. It's like he's had people in his camp telling him like, "Hey man, you got to we got to do this. You got to your name is not a good name actually, and here's why this is going to affect you now." And like you haven't yeah. really built a brand for yourself even though you've been releasing music off and on sporadically over the last couple of years and you're like you you think you're married to this name only because you think it matters. Right. But really it's like this name has to also play a part in carrying you and that's in search engine optimization terms that's in you know just general visible likability like I better like your logo and right. do you watch Dave on Hulu at all? It's a little dicky show. Oh, it's like yeah, I see clips um watch that show cuz it okay. is is a perfect encapsulation of the n- just how neurotic an artist can be yes. when it comes to the, what they're thinking about and what it is that goes into what they're doing. Like when he's like <laughs> trying to come up with a logo for a backdrop for like the show he's going to play. Yeah. And he's like, ah, uh, I don't know. I just don't feel like, like he's not creating it, but he doesn't know how to articulate what he wants different. And the girl who's doing his art form is getting a little frustrated with him. Yeah. And he's not like necessarily, he's this artist who's doing, he's got some money moves being made. But he's not aware of all the artists that are in his camp are all kind of suffering from that artist plight themselves of trying to like, you know, communicate, get their points across, also get their their work to be seen and and known that it's them and, you know, allows them to get more clients in, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And it's a very – like to me, it's it's almost like 
if you've ever worked in a restaurant and you decide to watch like Hell's Kitchen or some sort of a show that's all about cooking and serving and service in general, and you're like, ah, oh, it's like I don't know why I went to work for six hours at this bar and restaurant to do this, to then come home and relax to mm-hmm. watching this high stress environment <laughs> of a cooking show. But that's kind that's of what it is sense. for me because it's like it's so crazy and ridiculous the things that he, he writes into it. That show should get all the Emmys. It's really really good. I'm and so check it out. I I just definitely like I see a lot of what we deal with in our day to day manifest in that regard yeah and so yeah so anyway like the the beat licensing thing i i'm like i have somebody in my camp that i think could do them uh, you know a service of like creating this stuff for them if they have a vision for it, where they want to go and what they want to do but none of them are beat makers themselves and gotcha. they don't really want to delve into that skill set and start oh, yeah. learning even though i kind of feel like you you should like i feel like if you're if you want to rap it like the the best thing you could do is figure out how to get you know four measures of a beat down that you like that builds however you want to right. and then kind of create these moments. You're going to have to invest either way. Either you're going to pay, pay monetarily it. for it or you're going to invest your time and learn. And then uh, to me, that pays off in the long run. That's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like basically every piece of photography or videography equipment I got, I got because I needed to do photos and videos for music. Yeah, it's a means that to I an end. Yep. Yeah, and then it just – like I didn't want to dive down the road. I would rather just be the fucking talent and like yep. do what I do and show up and then sing and then I'm done and that's it. Everybody else does their pieces and then we're good. Yeah. But you, like I also am a – I guess like a leader in that regard. Like I like to have my hands in on different aspects of the, the – you know, the mechanics of what make this – whatever this, you know, machine run. Mm-hmm. And it's just difficult whenever you feel like – uh you just don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And then right. you, you do, you know what you do know, but you're trying to get <laughs> like past certain barriers that you're at and gatekeeping doesn't help. And right. so you can't break those certain thresholds. And, and then at a certain point, it's like, yeah, you just got to, like I said, you just got to invest. You know, like if I can spend some money on the camera equipment and start getting the lenses that I want and getting the shots that I want. Now, at least I know if I decide to hire somebody out, what I'm looking for visually. So if we storyboard something for a music video, I can be like, I'm really looking at seeing like a lot of tight shots on this. Like I'm thinking like 85, 100 millimeter, like yeah. focal length. And this is what I'm kind of picturing for this. And it's giving me another avenue for being able to express myself musically in mm-hmm. a way that I didn't anticipate. Like music, first and foremost, is what brought me to photography and videography. And then it has kind of taken on its life of a life of its own because it turns out our generation was raised off of media. So yeah. you reverse engineering how to edit something or create a piece or a, a video or a short that is something that you would like to watch yourself. And, and so now I you're think, making a living out of it, dude. Like, but unintended didn't go to college for it. It was not my intention whatsoever, but I've got an eye for it and I can, I can project manage and organize and, mm-hmm. and execute. And so it, it takes having, if I have a team that can also play their parts and do the same thing, like, I'm fucking untouchable. Like I'm yeah. unstu- like get, put me with two or three heavy hitters to create a project that I want to create or that I'm being paid to create. And it will be amazing because I know who I'm going to go to for the different things that I'm going to do. Right. The different aspects of what make up the composition of that video. And like, yeah, That's it awesome. might be a super expensive video, but they're going to get what they paid for, for sure on the back end of it. Yeah. So if you can justify the work, the work that you're putting in and in, in terms of like what your value is, like, I don't feel any shame in being like, at some point or another, I got to stop being insecure and be like, I'm actually fucking good at what I do. And yeah. here are the awards that show that. And here are the client yeah, testimonies that say this. Emmy, this guy's <laughs> landed Emmy awards for uh... – But even that is like uh, – to me, I was just talking to the the gentleman I had on the podcast last night, uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Loftus. He was – I was like, you know, what does that really do other than like in the camp of people that give a shit about that? 
it shows that you've gone to that degree or you've gotten to that step. And then yeah. he was like, oh, yeah, did you get your trophy? And I was like, no. And he, I found out – I didn't tell him this last night when we were doing the podcast, but I found out that they didn't make the full-timers pay for their trophies. They bought their trophies. But because I was only part-time, because I didn't want to go union and because they don't pay enough to do what? full-time or you part-time. You buy your trophies? Yeah, it's like, they don't tell you. That you have to pay for uh, your trophy. It's like $350. That sucks. I would have paid it. I, I, I mean, I have the order form like, whenever oh, I want to. Thing. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. But then I'm like, but then what do I do with it? And how long does it get to sit around before it you looks put like it on top of your toilet in the bathroom? Right, right. Yes, <laughs> right where it belongs. Yep. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point though, I'm like, if I don't win another one within a few years, it's gonna look like I won one a long time. I'm like, yeah, this guy must have peaked back in 2015. Wash ups only in this bathroom. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, but that it, it does say a lot. Like it for you to get your what is it, accolations or whatever accolades. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people just trust you a lot more. Like you, you're, I'm sure you'll see more hires out of that. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Like, I, I, it's like it's in my like professional like bios and stuff like that. But I mean, it's also I'm so far removed from it now because that was 2019. So it's like the pandemic oh, <laughs> happened right after. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. Uh, but I mean, you know, I, okay, cool. Now I want the Grammy. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. what I want next. That's what I want. And I'll go, go for the Oscar once I decide to start branching into like film and doing, you know, building up my acting reel and doing that. Do you feel like uh, age or anything has, does it weigh on you at all? Like, man, I'm getting older, going to die soon. Hopefully, Hopefully not, not soon. Not soon. Like, dude, I, when I was 19, I had like a breakdown when I was turning 20 because I was like, I had such a goal for the longest time. If I don't land a record deal by the time I'm 19 – then I'm just going to give up music. And then when I crossed that that age goal, I would like set my goal to like, okay, I have to, I'm 25. Right, 25, that's it. Yeah. And then 25 was like 27. And then it's by 30, I think Nick um, told me one time, he's like, yeah, if by the time I'm 35, if I don't make it in music, I'm just giving up. Right. And like, I think, I don't know if we all have that feeling I, or not, but like I always would set these goals and like, it ultimately, like, kind of, I don't know, jinxed me, man. Like, I'm not going to say jinxed me. <laughs> Is that me, why I didn't make it? No, yeah, no. I've, I mean, it, you have to adapt. Like, you have to be malleable yeah. in your goals as well because, like, you you can have a goal, and but you have to reassess. Every mm -hmm. so often, you should check in with your goals and be like, are these still the goals that I want? Like, would doing this or doing that actually be what I still wanted to do or have I just been chasing it so long that that's what I think I, I need to do? Yeah. But to me, I, I think – yeah, uh, it's harder in maybe the entertainment industry or music where you feel like, oh, well, if I'm not, you know, a child prodigy at 17 getting picked up and being promoted by Usher and like, right. you know, getting a record contract that is way more than most artists will ever see in their lifetime. I mean, what does that really say other than the you have to that's if yeah, if you're metric for success was following that path and you didn't get picked. I, I yeah. hate to tape, break it to you, but you, you fucking failed at that one. Guess you're not going to be the next Justin Bieber. Okay. Right. But like music is so different. If you think about it in terms of longevity, like our relationship with time is so fucking skewed because we think we only have so much time and we don't know how much time we have at all is the reality of it. But it doesn't really matter what age you are to be perfectly honest. Like, okay. Maybe I can't be in a, uh, uh, I can't be a pop artist if I'm in my thirties right. <laughs> out of nowhere. High musical but is that anything. true? Like how old's Louis Capaldi? Like where did he come from? Right. Where, how did the, like he broke out and he's got 
Tourette's Sia's and like he's like almost fifty. Dude, Louis Capaldi. See, he's almost fifty. Yeah, but just I'm watching saying, him struggle on stage and like the the crowd helping him sing his songs as he gets through his like episode of Tourette's. And I don't Man, mean this disrespectfully whatsoever. Like he is not what I would say most most people would say is a conventionally attractive man. Absolutely, yeah. But he is like extremely beautiful as a human being in that his voice is incredible. His songwriting is really, really brilliant. I didn't really see it as much. I've listened to him uh, over the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, like a single here, a single there. But then when we started doing Forget Me and you start diving into a little bit of like oh, the yeah. nuance of what it is he's really doing with his songwriting, I'm like, man, this guy is fucking brilliant. So it's not an accident that he's like, you know, not maybe the most attractive guy in the world, but he's writing bangers and people love him. At a certain point, I think people did give a shit about what the artists looked like because that was how they were packaging the music they were selling. Like, you know, you watch Linkin Park and Sh uh, Sugar Ray and all the artists that came out in the early 2000s yep. with a record. They all kind of had this like new metal punk alternative look to them. Jinko jeans, like gel the, spiky hair, gel spiky hair. Yeah. The whole nine. Yeah. But I, I like, um, I don't know what any of the dudes I, like sleep token, like they wear oh, masks yeah. on stage. So I don't know. How, I don't know how they are. I don't know. And I, and I don't give a shit. His, his voice is like, yeah, yeah. Like he could be, I wouldn't give a shit. Like he, he sounds amazing. Yeah. It's these weird kind of limitations we put on ourselves and, and they're like, all self-inflicted right yeah. like it, to some degree yeah the industry is going to impose some of them like uh we had a manager once that pitched me for american idol and they were like oh no, yeah he's too old i was like in my late 20s and i was too old and they've me? had people on there that were in their late 20s and right. i was like okay whatever I, I never wanted to go that route anyway i was like thanks for putting my name in the pod i didn't ask <laughs> for that but yeah and i, I was like that's kind of a fucking bummer i'm like great now i'm bummed about something i didn't even give a shit about like right 10 minutes before I heard it. Yeah. But you know, it, it, whatever age I'm like, okay, so now I can't be in a pop band. Maybe I can do this genre that I also love. Or, you know, if I'm cruising into 45 and nothing's looking good. I guess I'm going country. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like <laughs> I've got another 20 years in country then like done. Yeah, dude. So like it, it just never stops. I, I think like you just have to be malleable with your goals. And, you know, to me, we kind of had that come to Jesus moment when boss died. It was like, yeah. Hey, do we want to keep doing this project or does this maybe seem like a stepping off point for where we are and what we were trying to accomplish? Like he was a very integral part to things. And, uh, the bottom line is we had to assess, like, are we ever really going to stop making music? Like, I'm never going to stop making music. Mm -hmm. I'm working with a uh, DJ who's a EDM artist. His name's Nukage. And yeah. I, I did a song with him Great that artist. is like fun. It's just different. It's like, and it's also like I've had friends of mine that have heard it have been like, I like that better. And I like Relic Hearts. I'm like, cool, fuck you. <laughs> like the thing I spent all my time on, you like this yeah. way more. But to the degree that I can explore this new aspect of just doing like vocal top lines on EDM, it's fun. Did and I it sounds good. I, I think I might have sent it to you. I don't yeah. know if I've sent you like the latest thing. No, that was good though. Yeah, what I heard. I and, remember I was driving back from- And that was tracked in his it. studio. So I was like, I want to retrack yeah. my vocals in my setup so that I can like get so like- comfortable. Yeah, not just comfortable, but like I didn't love- He has like the chaotic eyeball like mic mm. cover. And, you know, for me, part of how well I can track comes down to how well I can hear myself. So like I've quit tracking with over-ear headphones and just do in-ears whenever I'm tracking so that I've yeah. got like a pretty robust sound that I've set up for myself and I can hear myself clearly. And there's no click bleed, which is like- Perfect. Yeah, in-ears are good for that. Yeah, yeah, and so like that's that's kind of shifted my game for and I didn't have them with me that day, so there was no way to really kind of get them to do that where it wasn't going to bleed through the headphones that we were using. Yeah. And so just being able to – like there is something to be said for finding what your comfortable tracking environment and tracking setup is. And I think 
singers get a bad shake at this because like they they always want to be able to hear themselves and they want the music loud too. And yes, there's, there's no pleasing. There's no there's no pleasing us. We're the, we're basically the fucking worst. Yep. But you know if there are ways to make it happen, it, it's worth doing. And so like I don't want to play. I don't want to practice as if like okay, but we got to be able to play without the click if everything fails. It's like well, first off. I don't mind taking a pause and resetting to get us to where we need to be to play the show right. that we want to play just because we, we had the click goes out or, you know, like the whole, you know, if our entire laptop sets out, like, Oh, most of these bands, if the laptop goes down, there goes the show. Have it's you like, been following the whole uh, debacle with, uh, what is it? What's that band's name? With Ronnie Raggy spirit box. Oh no, not that, but, uh, not the accusations, but the whole click, uh, they canceled a show because, they couldn't get their laptops like running that had all their backing tracks on it. And like all these older head bands like weighed in and they're like, is that true? I feel like that could easily, that uh, poor son of a bitch gets such like a, a nightmare of a, he gets fucking thrown under the bus yeah. for so many things, dude. I, I, I highly doubt that that's okay. I mean, most first off, he's a, at this point, a major touring artist and a lot of the bands he takes out just as good. I mean, Luke Collins is drummer. Mm -hmm. Like he's got heavy hitters in his band. He's not, well, no, they're not going to cancel a show for a laptop going down. And I will also double that with the fact that most of the artists that are doing that and they've got live production synced with their music and everything are not running off of one laptop. They've got redundancies set up so that if one goes down, the next one picks up. Well, so here's that, what happened. Like he, he admitted it and I agree with Ronnie. Like I'm, Team Ronnie all the way on this because I don't get hung up on like whether somebody's using backing tracks or not. I think backing tracks help. I play to backing tracks weekly. Like I'm in the worship team at church and backing tracks help bring emotion to music. And so I think it's great. What happened, I think, is like wherever whoever was transporting their laptops, something failed that where they could not play their backing tracks for the show. And so Ronnie made the decision like before the show, like we can't deliver the show. I want to the put show on. that we want to give you guys. So we're going to come back. And so they effectively canceled the show, but like so many people weighed in on it. And been like, I think oh, I made it. Was this recent or was this like was a couple months ago? I feel like I remember when this was going down. Yeah. So yeah. I guess my, my further ad addendum commentary to that would be, you know, it's not just their tracks. Like their tracks are also in sync usually with via MIDI for their light right, show. It's their light show. So it's like everything. it's 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 everything. So literally the experience that you want your fans to have is not gonna be there. Like I I'm sure a large portion of the fans would have been just as fine going in there and seeing them fucking wing it. But right. I can tell you from a fact, whenever you've taken the time to craft an entire set for your your, yeah, you don't your fans win. and for your your own experience of performing the art, the last thing you want to do is go out there and play a show you don't want to play in a way you don't want to play it. Right. Like you're not – it's just not – and he's a great singer. Like he's got so many other accolades that make him worth the it's weight if you're a fan. Man. But like <laughs> how do you how do you get mad at somebody for being like, hey, bottom line, it's just the same as like, hey, all of our guitar necks snapped and it's going to be a while until we can get the guitars that we want in here that have yeah. all of our pickups and the, the things that we are like, there's no difference. I mean, it's literally just the, the, the backing tracks aspect is just an instrument that's accompanying everything else. It's not like they're not playing. It's, it's not like the, it's in the same vein of the people who talk crap on auto tune and who don't really <laughs> understand like, right. Right. Auto tune right. is on everything and say, okay, you still have to be a good singer um, for auto tune to work properly right. like you got to be close i and it, i remember when i first started tracking my own stuff i hit up uh matt wentworth from our last night and i was like hey uh 
I'm like not sure what to dial like my tuning settings into. Like I don't know if it just makes sense for me to go through and do like send it out to get it like Melodyne tuned or if like investing into like Antares auto tuner in real time mm-hmm. is going to be worth it. And I found that what I like is for scratch tracking, I like actually having the auto tune on so that I can hear where I'm off because you can hear where the notes yeah. bend in a way that's like obviously not favorable. Right. Uh, and and so I guess for me, I was like, what is the best way to get this to not sound? I, I don't want it to sound, if I am going to have to use tuning in my tracking phase, I don't want it to sound like egregious, you know? And he was right. like, honestly, my best advice to you is just to learn how to sing it right. <laughs> He's like, just <laughs> learn how to sing it right and get a good in-ear mix for or in-ear you know, set up for your, your monitoring for being able to track to it. And yeah. that's going to carry you so much further. And then between that and that's a few good. other people along the way that helped me on my journey with self-tracking my own stuff, again, a huge barrier for entry and a big reason why Relic Hearts didn't release a lot of music between when we dropped Volatile and when we basically had that ransack year that, like two years ago after Boss passed away. Yeah. It was I was like, I need to get over this hurdle. I need to, this is holding my entire band back because really? I'm like not confident with what, I don't know what my baseline is for what is a good set of tracks to send out of vocals to somebody else to mix and master. And it's like, and and I was like able to reference with you. I was like, Jordan, like, please tell me if these suck. Like if I need to go back and retrack something, I'm totally willing to go back to the board and do it again. Yeah. I just don't want to be giving you something that is difficult as hell to work with. And then, you know, we started hearing, I think I'm trying to think what the first mix we did with you was positions was that the one yes yeah that's so what a weird one to give you (laughs) and like we so we did that positions cover and then i get it back and i'm like oh and like i even went back and retract certain parts because i was like oh yeah this delivery i see you're doing the best you could with what i gave you and that part was not a solid delivery so it's not going to be easy to work with it's more energy man like yeah tuning is fine if you're a little flat like nobody cares you can fix it but like that energy and the inflection and the the oomph you have behind it like that's what to hone in on and yeah auto-tune is not a big deal at all but like i was afraid that like i was sending out subpar quality tracks to somebody like i didn't want to do that and and basically like foot and mouth embarrass myself in front of anybody that i might want to send it out to i feel you yeah and i don't know what my baseline is for what makes good tracks so i can't i have no barometer for being able to decide like whether or not mine stack up and not like then i eventually i come to realize like oh i'm actually not as bad as i'm not anywhere near as bad as i thought i was i was way far off base from thinking that i was just not doing a good job at all but like you know when you don't know how to do your in uh your initial in compression and stuff like that Mm -hmm. for your vocals that you're recording i was like are these too compressed am i compressing these too much for you and you're and you're like no like these are fine these are totally fine to work with i was like i just needed somebody to tell me that i i wasn't doing it wrong you're on the right path right this this process that I was doing was right. And then as soon as I had that, it was like off to the races. It was like, okay, cool. I'm confident to track anything I want to now. Yeah. I track yeah. all the time. I track extras. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to lay down a bunch of overdubs tonight and send them to you. Like, <laughs> sorry, you send 16, 16 tracks of the verse one. And, uh, but like, that's a little inside joke. Me and Nate have. Gone. Yeah, of course. <laughs> He's like, oh, I don't need, you know, no more than <laughs> five just tracks me 56 tracks. But to me, I'm like, you. what you do about, like, I hate doing my vocal comping just because it's this aspect that is like, it's like fucking mowing the lawn or like doing the dishes. Yeah. I'm just like, I don't want to do that aspect of it. Like, if I'm focusing on the energy and tracking it right, the last thing I want to do is sit there and lift, sift through all the different takes and variations, slight tweaks or whatever. Do you feel uncomfortable listening to your voice? Not at all. I just fucking hate doing it. It's like a literally, it's just a process, a procedure thing that I don't like. And so 
with you, every time we've always tracked together, you're like, oh, I like how you do this. And and Jason's another one. He's like, I like mm-hmm. how you actually inflect this in a really weird way. It's, it's not – I don't hear it a lot actually. And he's like, I think that's actually not part of what makes your voice sound interesting. Yeah. And so – you also have that ear for, I know that if I give you a bunch of takes and I'm trying some weird shit out, you're going to be like, oh, all right, I see what he was going for here. Yeah. You, you'll, you'll assemble it in the comp the way that it sounds the best. And I know that I, I trust you with that. And that was another reason that we weren't releasing stuff because I was like, oh, gotcha. then I have to, if I wasn't just tracking it tuned or not, I got to be able to comp this into a take that is something I can send out that can then be made. And if I did it that way, I'd have to get my lead vocal take back first so I could go and track my doubles to that. Yeah. Am I yeah. notorious? Whatever, for whatever reason, this is the case. Like I, if I track in a studio with somebody else, my lead is always the hardest to get to, like to where right. everybody in the room is happy with it. But then the doubles, like as soon as I got that lead down, the double is right behind it. And, the, right. and it doesn't take any fine. time at all. So I was like, okay, I need to be able to get this done and get this to you, get my leads and my doubles out of this and then go from there. Yeah. And so you helped with that process. And cool. You know, it's, it's good to have that kind of, tool in our camp to say like, oh, we don't have to have everything perfect at our own individual remote recording spaces right. to get it to you and have it, the end sonic result be exactly what we want it to be. Dude, it is so cool now that like you spend a couple hundred dollars, you can just record anywhere and do so many cooler things rather than have like the whole band come over to my house and like my baby screaming in the living room. Right. Like. I just love it that today is you can do everything remote and if COVID did one good thing for us, <laughs> it was yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. to put a positive spin on COVID. Having, having us get savvy <laughs> at, at what we can do in the comfort of our own homes. So yeah, I've had a lot of fun with you guys just sending tracks back and forth. And yeah, and it's also good for our creative process because it allows us to not have to feel like we're married to anything too early. Right. And that's super helpful, especially when you're trying to craft your vision for an individual song. It's like yeah, you like, need to spend a where, couple days on a vocal, you can. Look at where Spitfire started to look at where it is now, and they are not the yeah. same song, and it took a long time to get there, way longer wild. than maybe it should have. But you know what? No two bands are the same. Like, every band's got their way of doing it, and you mm-hmm. just everybody, every band themselves needs to learn to respect their own process yeah. and make peace with it. If it's not as fast as you want, that may just be for that song. Right. The next song could come out like that, and it's, and it's already ready to be in the mixing and mastering phase, and then maybe it only took... A month from start to finish and, yeah. and getting it out there. And the more you do, the faster you get. It's just exactly kind of you just get you're just priming the gears and getting everything rolling. So yep. I we glossed over it because I we scattered and I'm scatterbrained. But uh, the, so the beat licensing thing. So how did that come about? Like what are you? What's the process? Like what are you getting into right now? You said you were getting ready to start an LLC to kind of get into it and do it for real. Yeah. And yeah. So long story short, um, long time ago, uh, I was in this band and we were like this Christian rock band and we were going to take over the world and that never happened. But along the way I met this kid that we just called a rapper and he was, he was a couple years older than me, but like he just was super into rap and I didn't know his name for the longest time. So we just called him rapper and we kept running into him. Um, and we kind of became friends and then I got into drugs for a while and (laughs) (laughs) along comes rapper and uh, he gets into drugs too. And we started doing drugs together and went down a really bad, bad place in life together. And um, luckily, like in 2015, I went to rehab. I got my life cleaned up and that's been a long kind of journey. But for the past good 
five years, like I've been in a good place and, and I'm getting better. And just so happened like rapper along the way, um, got to his own kind of rock bottom and started figuring his life out. And we ended up like going to the same church and, um, I just started going to church because it was local and, um, I heard they had like this band and I wanted to check them out and it, it was a cool church. And like, it turned out like the pastor there was a former drug addict and like, he was just so raw and it, it spoke to me. So I kind of stuck there and then all of a sudden rapper starts coming to church and we both like get into the technical aspects of church. And I'm like, Hey, can I help run your sound? Because this sounds awful, awful. <laughs> and, like horrible. And so like the church was so cool and they're so inviting to us and like, they ended up like throwing a lot of money at like the sound and the production part of it. And now today, like we're playing the backing tracks. We have like a full uh, live stream rig and we got them to build a studio upstairs for us. So now <laughs> every Sunday morning when I'm not up front, um, it's me and rapper back there and he's controlling like the, uh, the videography end and I'm doing like the live processing and sending him the audio. It's like, it's routed like through Ethernet from like the Behringer X32. Gotcha, gotcha. And, um, it goes out. And so we just end up talking a lot in there. And like, dude, we've grown so close. And he's always been producing beats. He like uses reason. And he's like, a, that's really popular for beat yeah, producing that here. Super good at it. And like his his style is like, I don't want to say it's cheesy. It's not cheesy, but some of it's cheesy. But he's a little old school. And so he'll send me these beats and he he does it all the time and he's like, Hey, what do you think of this? And like, I'll give him feedback. And like, he's really good at like catching a vibe of something and just like creating this feeling, That's this the thing texture matters. in his beats that like people strive to do, like that I can't do. He just kind of does. He like, he produces on like the pads and just kind of like right. busts the beat out. And, um, so I was like, Hey man, why don't we just like, start a business together. Like we can produce for people or we can like mix and you're good at video. So I don't know, we can offer like a, uh, media production services. And like, that was a couple of months ago. And from there we kind of honed it down to like, what do we really want to do? What and, we should actively show up for consistently yeah. to be able to knock something out. You know, we both love music. Like Aaron is into his name's Aaron. He's like super <laughs> he's not actually rapper. It's not rapper. <laughs> But he's super into videography too. And like, I think you guys would just get along. Um, I think you're a little further along, like developed as far as like the ins and outs of video than he is. But um, anyway, like, yeah, he just sends me beats and he'll send me like eight bar loops and he sends me all the multi-tracks for them. So then I'll strip them out and kind of construct them into like a two minute song. And like he, he titles them like, the way they make them feel so like summer or a night drive or something and so like i'll kind of keep that in mind when i'm like hashing out and building the structure of the song and um so we're just kind of like working on a catalog right now and he had the idea to name it brosagna so that's what we're brosagna like, like lasagna but with bros <laughs> in front so that's what we're sticking with and uh we kind of took it really seriously and i got us an llc and um, my wife is currently starting a business with, you know, Maddie um, from she used to work here, I think. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
they started a business together like a couple months ago. So I got to kind of see the process. So I didn't have to hire like a whole business lawyer. I just legal wrote on the yeah legal <laughs> zoom too. But I wrote on her t- t- uh, coattails of just getting this registered and getting in a legit thing. So we're still in the process of like building it, but we want to build a catalog. Um, we registered with, we got an account on like United Masters. I forget what, what, uh, there's like a rap artist that owns United Masters, but it's supposed to be like this latest, um, distro platform for everything from like leasing beats to sync licensing. Nice. Um, so we're going to try to like test it out there and, uh, see what different platforms we can get on, learn as much as we can about licensing and and what that all looks like and yeah i mean you get a right sync placement man that a uh, sync placement in a commercial can pay yeah. a shit ton just for like 30 seconds or something like you, you don't even need the full two minute thing you only need right. like the 30 yeah. second sting to make the commercial work what is that like juno uh that movie juno he's like yeah remember that jingle that like bought me my kitchen but, <laughs> yeah so, yeah yeah for sure that's exactly how it works yeah so it's nice to have like a legitimate thing and i'm surprise i wish i would have done this earlier with like mixing and mastering that i can write some stuff off like so instead of me paying 20 dollars a month for my uh slate digital recurring monthly fees and and like splice any amount of space you're using your uh your house to you know to to do what you do like all that stuff's right off yeah you can write off part of your got a haircut because you got to look presentable for the clients that you have coming into the studio or you got to be on zoom like oh yeah for sure (laughs) like anything that basically fundamentally you need to keep up with to keep your business going yeah and reputable like it almost always counts as a write-off yeah i'm scared to death um because all all the hard lessons we're about to learn yeah um, but you're scared to death everything so i feel like yeah yeah it's funny uh anyway but like do you have do you have advice like my first bit of advice would be to let me do the bros on your beach thing that like plays underneath the thing and yeah yeah like when yeah. at the beginning of every intro yeah we actually got to submit like an audio tag um <laughs> that it'll say every once in a while on the united master hilarious uh I mean, you just got to be willing to roll with the punches, man. Like, there, yeah. there is no advice. I don't know that specific realm exactly, but every opportunity you get to learn something or if there are conventions and things like that that you can go to or, or there are meetups, like uh, you know, artist and producer meetups, you got to dive into that world. And yeah. and I'm uh, taking it from uh, Tom Myruski, Nukage. He was really good in the underground EDM scene in Brooklyn at actually organizing these producers and getting them oh, together right. to do like – you know, hey, we're all gonna we're gonna either start with a, an idea, and we're all gonna make our own beats and see how we feel about the beat. Like a bunch of producers in one space, and at one point in time, creating a beat centered around one like sort of particular idea, and just seeing how that varies from producer to producer, and then like challenge yourself. I feel like that's it's super important to do like the the test that you can get done in a week and the daily test, like the thing yeah. that you can get done that is. I could shoot this today. I could shoot that. Like I want to put out a piece of content a day every day for a month. It's like, right. okay, that's a tall order. But if you can get it kind of regimented in a way where it's not difficult to actually do that, you're mm-hmm. in good shape. There's this quote. I don't even remember who said it, but it was really good. It's you're successful if you, you put out art that you want to put out. Like it, it, you're yeah. successful the minute you release the art that you made. 
So like, regardless of whether, how you feel about it, like your feelings don't matter. Like that, right. none of that matters. As soon as you release the thing, what matters is how people, and it's not even that that matters. What also matters, I guess, is that, you know, how people interact with it and engage with it and, and react to it. Right. If that's what matters to you. Some people just like to do the thing and they put it out and they're like, I don't really care where it goes. This is just like catharsis for me. This is a thing that I do because it's an outlet that I love and I don't want to deviate from doing it because it's a part of like my mental or emotional well-being. Yeah. But like the, the only thing I can think of that I think is true to everybody is you just got to be willing to keep learning and you've already got that passion. So like as long as you keep going down the rabbit holes and – you know, don't be afraid to splurge on yourself now and again. Sometimes you don't need the tool to get to what you're trying to do, but right. sometimes a new tool incites the violent urge <laughs> inside to continue to create and try something new and, and do stuff. Plugins, man. Yeah, man. That, I, I feel terrible about it. But then like every now and again, like for the podcast, I use one um, from Waves, Clarity BX. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's like so great at cleaning up the audio. And the audio is – I already set it up to be good out of the box. Mm -hmm. So like it's good, but to get rid of any of that extra hiss and have it just be – clean dead space that's that's it yeah. Goot, uh alex Goot, he was the one who showed me the software he was like dude you got to get this he's like you don't have to but it's yeah. not that expensive and it really is the icing on the cupcake like it's not universal audio makes one for like 300 dollars, and waves clarity came out shortly after that and like they're giving them a run for their money definitely I mean, it's great. I, I showed it to uh, Carlos, intern Carlos, actually. And uh, he was like, yeah, <laughs> like when you can actually like hear it between you yeah. know, A and B and turning something on and off. Yep. That's the other thing I always love about you is like you uh, are always down to talk like gear and nerd out with like specific yeah, techniques man. and this, that and the other thing. And it just takes a special kind of brain to be able to have – you have to have friends in your life that you can do that with. Yes, yes. And like there's been periods where I've been starved of that. So I'm like – I just feel really lucky now and like blessed to just have so many cool creative people in my life and like yeah dude I'm just thankful of where things are and like I've never even seen like real like success success in it and it's I guess right like right whatever that I just means. wish I would have had this like gratitude when I was younger and I think it would have like kept me on the path a little better instead of constantly like being down on myself about how I'm not where I think I'm supposed to be yet. And well, it's like, hard when your environment isn't there to support you and steer you away from that. Yeah. And it's also, I think especially hard and maybe something that's maybe not this area specific, but I look at this area as like, this is a microcosm to the macro. The, this problem we deal with here is in mm -hmm. every pocketed little corner of this great world of ours. And, and so ultimately it just takes, you need to be able to be in an area where you can be surrounded by people that it's that nature versus nurture argument ultimately. Yeah. But really in this case, when it comes to the creative aspect, it's like you can have some innate sort of internal core to your being true art that you naturally just express and get out. But sometimes great art isn't just the natural it's, cultivated and yeah. when you're not in an area that, of people that can support you because there's not really a strong music scene in this area or there's not really a this or that to some degree you can kind of be talked to as if those are excuses but beyond a certain point it's hard to do a lot of things without the right tools yeah definitely like i can i can dig a well with a spoon that doesn't make it a good fucking idea like right. even if i enjoy it 
for the first two feet of it. You know, like that's that's not the way to go about living your life. And it's hard when you don't have people that can kind of steer you away from that. And I feel like in our area, we've been kind of like the, you know, we're kind of cutting our teeth constantly on the things that we're learning and trying. And I think it's not an accident that we stand out in yeah. all the best ways the way we do now because we spent that time doing that. But you have to be willing to do that in the first place. And a lot of people can get burnt out and and stop striving for it. Like, how many people do you know that we started doing music with that don't yeah, do music at all anymore? So and it's sad. like, yeah, it is, especially when you, you know people that are like, damn, like you're really good at this and that. And I can't believe that it just didn't pan out for you. And you can't be like mad at them or like right. sad it's for just, them if they're not sad themselves. But, right. you know, there's something to be said for like, man, I really wish you had stuck with it because I would have loved to have seen where you ended up. Yeah. On yeah. Your path of creating. And like, I, I don't know, like, I, not to like shit on my parents or anything, but like growing up, I, I remembered, dude, I always just wanted like supportive parents with what my dreams and goals and ambitions were. And like to them, it, it was like never realistic and like they didn't mean to like tear me down, but they weren't so subtle about like not shooting those ideas it. down. And like I would. I would just blame them so much about like, oh man, if I just had parents that encouraged me, then maybe I would have done this. And like, man, I hate that I did that. And I put that on them like as I got older and like I resented them and like, just like, why didn't you ever support me? You don't love me. And like, yeah, but like prior to the internet, like, man, man, that was just the case. Good for me. And, and like, that's true. They want it, security. It, came, it became such a convenient excuse to, blame that situation on why I'm not where I am and it's not my fault. And like, so I'm, I'm glad it just kind of instilled this. I, I need to prove something wrong to, oh, to yeah. those voices in my life. There's definitely, there's, there's definitely something to be said for that uh, strong chip on your shoulder that makes you like go after something that you otherwise would have quit if you didn't feel yeah. like you had something to prove. But uh, yeah, I totally forget where I was going with that. But um, yeah, just trying to like, even raise kids now. I know you don't have any kids yet, but like, <laughs> dude, I just adopted uh, my son Andre. Like, he's nice. officially a little crepsy now. But <laughs> congratulations, man! Man, I get so hard on him sometimes, and he's such a creative kid, and he just like he's rambunctious and he he sings to himself all the time, and he's has like this internal rhythm that's really good at keeping time. And I try to like cultivate that in him, but it seems like. The more I encourage him or the more I try to teach him, the more further away it just kind of drives him. Yeah, like He yeah, wants to sure. learn on his own. He already has it all figured out. But, dude, I catch myself sometimes just being like – just kind of like hard on him. Like, dude, what are you doing? Like, knock it off. And I, it bums me out because like, like man, oh, shit. I am turning <laughs> into everything that I hated about my childhood. Like, and I'm putting it on him. And so it's – it's just really important to cultivate like that creativity and give them the space to fail and like mess up and it not be the end of the world for right. them and, and to crush them because they're fragile little beings, man. Yeah, we are as kids. And it's hard to think about it when you're not a kid anymore because you don't really ever get to fully see who you were as a kid anymore because you're yeah. this constantly evolving creature that you are now and then now and then now. <laughs> and like – my mom just said to me the other day on my birthday, she was like, yeah, she was like, I think uh, one of the students uh, around here might have uh, killed himself. And I was like, what makes you say that? And she was like, well, um, <laughs> they were carrying a body out the front door. No, she was like, 
they were, there were a bunch of people that were just like outside of the, this apartment area and just like sobbing and crying. And I guess there was like an ambulance that was there, but they didn't oh, no. see anything. But, um, and they were, uh, it was like a group of like Asian, like students outside of this place, like just kind of crying and dealing, going through their emotions. And I know specifically for a lot of Asian culture, it is like paramount that you get your degree and you are a great student and that you go out and you get a great job and that you, you know, provide for your family, you start a family. Right. And so there, so much pressure, man, there's a lot of pressure. And so, I mean, insofar as maybe your parents didn't support you, it allowed you to create that chip on your shoulder that let you pursue the thing that you ultimately wanted to do anyway. Right. There's no linear path, right? Like it's like, Oh, did I live the right life? Nobody gets to know what they say. You know, at the end of the day is for us, Nobody gets to say whether they did or didn't live their the right life. Right. But you can live your best life, certainly. And yeah. you can do a lot of it on your terms. And sometimes living that life comes with just being like, I gotta eat crow. <laughs> like I gotta yeah. I'm not gonna enjoy anything about this. Like I've had periods in my life where I had to like actively tell myself, This is just uh not a great place and I don't love where I am. That's gotta be okay. And even if it's not, I just need to like nose down, eyes forward, and just go, keep going in this direction that I'm going and, and do the work. Show up whether I feel like showing up or not because I mean, nobody else can show up for you. Nobody else can teach right. you anything. Nobody else can inspire you to – people can inspire you to do things. That's not fair. But like to look externally for motivation, it's not motivation. Nine times out of ten, you're just looking for discipline. Yeah. Well, it's hard for a neurodivergent person such as myself mm -hmm. to exercise discipline without like a lot of regiment being put into it. Like a yep. lot of actual art articulate effort has to go into me getting things done in a, in a way that discipline helps you with. Dude. And so <laughs> what discipline has to look like Speaking for me, to me. Yeah. has to look like – repetition and I got to, sometimes I got to mask like, uh, ah, I, I don't want to do this thing, but you know what? I'm going to make a game of it. I'm just going to go and do it anyway. And I'm just going to see, like, I'm going to show up and try to be like the best for, I, I went and I helped out at a church. Um, it was like a Easter egg hunt. Yeah. And like I got signed up for it by my girlfriend's mom nice. and she like didn't tell us until like the, <laughs> the day of, and I was like, I, and I had like work to do, but I was like, you know what? Like instead of sitting here and bailing, which I totally could have, and like nobody could have faulted me and nobody could have made me feel bad about it if I did. I was like, I've never done anything like this. Let's just do this for shits and giggles. Yeah. And I manned a hot cocoa station for this church and I was just, just killed it. <laughs> slinging hot cocoa, dude, like left and right. I was like, you want some hot cocoa? And they were like, oh, no. I'm like, this isn't like that cheap gas station stuff. It's not watering down. This is a good this mix. This is good, good. This yeah. is good right here. You want this. I was like, I'll tell you what. Just take a sample, and then if you don't want a full cup, I'll, I'll take care of your cup for you. And, I mean, just being absurd, putting yourself in positions where you can kind of just be – I wasn't like free of my obligations or anything like that, yeah. but I put myself in a place where I was like, oh, this is not what I want to be doing. I am low key stressing out that I'm not getting <laughs> this work done that I need to do because yeah. it's what pays me and I'm doing this thing for free instead. But honestly, it's like you see a bunch of uh, kids that are out and they're getting ready for this Easter egg hunt and it's a little chilly out and, you know, it had, it was just like a, it was a good experience. Like yeah, it was a yeah. thing. I think it's good to do things that are kind of out of your comfort people zone. Out too. I used to do like soup kitchen work and like Thanksgiving That's and stuff like great. that. And I, I, and like, man, it's, it's really, really, uh, I think important to really just 
not think about what's going on in your world all the time yeah. and set yourself into a different place where you, you, you can't think about that. I, uh, James yesterday, the guest I had on was telling me a story about how he was filming a documentary uh, about the world cup and the women's team in the world cup got uh, the U S women's team dominated this like Haitian team that had just had suffered like a massive like earthquake and lost a lot of homes and like a lot of the girls that were on the teams like some of their families were killed and like yeah and so they had nowhere to go and so i think he said um peru or panama i think like put them up and like fed them and like they shared meals together and stuff and this girl uh who they the u.s women's soccer team like destroys them like 11 to nothing and so they're out of the the tournament so they didn't they lost their family members and they don't get the it's like you know in in the, (laughs) the weird stories that we tell ourselves it's like you're going to beat the bad guy. You're going to get the girl and you're going to save the day. Like those are the things you're going to get and you're going to win the game, you know? And so when it doesn't happen, he's like, uh, you know, it was a really powerful moment where like, we couldn't, we agree. We couldn't let this girl stay in this like hostile kind of situation that they were, um, left with like, you know, rooms divided by like thin white curtains and things like that. He described it really well. So you have to watch watch that episode when it comes out. But he, he said, you know, and then I came home to my, uh, my house, my apartment in the U.S., and I was like, I felt guilty. He's like, I've got yeah, all of this, so and she nice. just lost everything. And I was like, you know what? Like, that part of our humanity is very, very important that we don't lose it. And the only way to retain it is to throw yourself out of your comfort zone, out of your personal obligations, and do things that maybe necessarily you didn't want to do, but are good for the just the betterment of your spirit, certainly, yes. but also like your community and the people around you. Yeah, when I was in rehab. Um I was just being an idiot, but um, my therapist told me, she's like, if you want to, like, get out of this shit, if you want to improve your life, like, just help people. Go serve somewhere and, and do something good for somebody else. Oh, yeah. Other than yourself. And um, that couldn't be more true, man. Like, yeah, it's not good to be <laughs> wrapped up in your, your selfishness all the time. And, and it's what, not like we mean to, to, right? Like you've right. got to live your life. You wake up in your own head. You go to sleep at the end of the night. You're turning off these lights. Like yeah. that's that's who you – this is the vessel you get for the time that you're here. Right. So it's hard to escape it sometimes. So, I, yeah, it's just nice whenever you can put yourself in a situation where, uh, yeah, I don't have a choice but to think about other people other than myself. And, and for me, like I, I used to do like child development courses when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I for sure thought I would have had kids by now. I had a pregnancy scare in high school Ooh. and uh, and then I just never – ended up having kids yet to date. Yeah. And, but I, I always love where, I mean like that, that toddler to like five year old range is like, that's my fucking jam. Cause they like, <laughs> they're so on a, like unfiltered, they've got thoughts and you're going to hear them and like, yes. and they don't know enough to be able to understand why what they're saying is either wrong or weird or <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But I, there is just something about like kids are like this last bastion of innocence until the internet gets to them. But yeah. like, when they've got that, there's a certain amount of like you – I think every human being has that like pack mentality of like, all right, protect the children. Or like give the children a good experience or yep. be there for the kids. And uh, I think insofar as I've been able to like transform that into the further – like the future parts of my life and be like, okay, I've got a homie who's really good at mixing and mastering or I think he's really good. He doesn't really have a lot of faith in himself, but if I can inundate him with a bunch of projects and show him that like trust is being placed in him yeah. and that he is capable because I'm literally hearing it. Like you were showing me mixes for things that you were doing. You're like, I'm really proud of this mix. Like, let me know what you think. And it's hard in the creative space when your friends do that to you because you got to check out some shitty things sometimes. Yeah. But 
I mean, there are a handful of people that I've like made it a point to never say no to when it comes to like, I get an idea bounced off me or a project sent to me or a video they want me to review or a song they want me to check out the mix for or whatever. Yeah. And, and it's just important. It's just as important for me to have those people too. So like, it's important for all of us. And I, I just looked at you. I remember being like, this is ridiculous. Like, like I could see why you would go down a path of like, you know, I don't know if it was like rampant alcohol abuse, but it was certainly drug abuse. And like, yeah, wasn't much of a drinker much ever, but, uh, I'm still yeah. not to be perfectly honest yeah, with you, I'm, but like, doesn't. I mean, it's, it's fun in a social setting if you're having fun and the drink's not too strong. I'm such a pussy when it comes I'm to a very drink. big lightweight dude, <laughs> two beers and I'm done. I'm wrecked. I feel like crap the next day. Like, yeah. Recovery time is terrible. Yeah. But like, I, I didn't attribute a lot of what you were going through to like a depression that I thought was because of, or not necessarily saying you were depressed, but like that rough patch of being like, because you weren't capable of doing more. You just didn't have, I, I felt like you just didn't have a better support system in your life. Yeah. And it's not like support, like the people that needed to hold your hand for you. It's that you need to have people that can see you for your strengths and gas you up when you're like, that's a, the core tenet of a really good friendship is that they can see you at your worst and be like, but they're still great to you, man. Like, don't hold that against you. And I, I just remember being like, he, you've written so many songs that I was like, I really like that song. Whenever we kicked Nick out of the, the one, the old band <laughs> and he like went on a rampage and you guys wrote like a fuck you song to me essentially. <laughs> yeah. And I heard it. I was like, that's really fucking good. <laughs> Yeah, I like it. I should write something back. Yeah, Yeah, like, and I started writing lyrics, like, how can I sneak a little dig in that only they will know? And that's like our brand new Taking Back Sunday style, like, argument. And, like, you know, and and I literally tried out for a band that you were in and you didn't let me in because you were like, dude, challenged by me wanting to do it because you're like, no, because if he comes in, then, like, what am I going to do? This is what this is my baby. And, or whatever the reason was, I've, I've had plenty of opportunities to be like, fuck this guy along the way. But I was like, <laughs> I can just honestly so see sorry. not at all, man. I love how our journey played out because in the back end, we're working with each other creatively and professionally still. Yeah. And it's one of like, you're one of my most cherished friendships because of that, because this is like uh we are diamonds in the rough here, dude. Like there is not a lot of ilk of our kind in this area. And it's nice to hold close the people that I, I cherish most. And, and I you, think man. have great potential. Cause I, I, I don't think that, you as a producer or mixer or master or engineer is like all you are. I think you are this truly creative person. And because you have this intuitively creative and insightful soul, you're always curious and looking for the new angle to create this new art that you want to do. And why the hell would I not want my ship to be attached to that ship too? Because I'm doing that in my own way. And if you have enough ships like that together, you've got a barricade. You just mowing, yeah, you can do some serious damage with a row of ships all going in the same direction. Yeah, I don't know what it was either. I think I just felt like when you showed up in my life um, trying to join the band, like everybody is on board. And if I was honest with myself, I'd be like, all right, this is one of the most charismatic people that I've ever met. Like, <laughs> And I think that's what was so threatening to me because like – I was like internally trying to figure out my own way to like be a front man and I knew the the insecurities that I had and I saw that you didn't share those same ones. <laughs> like you just kind of were comfortable in your own skin and I was like, dude, I'm going to get mowed over by this guy and like, no. <laughs> and, I would hate my own fucking project. Like why? Yeah. Would I, yeah. And so I was just immediately like, no, I, I wanted this to kind of figure out who I am and like. And I can't do it with him here because he's already where I want to be. And like, 
And the, I, it was such a weird thing. But yeah, with that said, like you are one of the most inspiring in a way. Like I've only met two people like this in my life, you and like this guy that owns an OIP um, <laughs> in, in my area. I'm in good company. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not an OIP, JP's. Aaron. Oh, okay. I got it. <laughs> His name's Aaron. But like you guys are the most like just naturally charismatic people in this way, in the how you carry yourselves, how how you approach situations and talk to people that I've always like connected to in this weird way. Not because like I can relate to you that I am that way or that I ever viewed myself as that, but it's always something that I viewed as like, that's, that's like respectable. Like that's, that's the way you should be like, I don't know. It's just you feel like, like maybe a, like, like my life would be better if I were like that or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, that's, it's easy. I, I'm, I'm just as fucking guilty of that as anybody else, man. Like if you, for you to say that, like I was like charismatic and comfortable in my own skin, like bullshit. Like yeah. I haven't been confident in a whole lot of my life until like I got to my thirties and I was like, Oh shit, actually it turns out I've got, I've got a track record first off that like examples that prove that I'm just being an idiot right now. And that if I, I don't know, it's hard. I I guess my mindset was just like, if I can find a way to will it to happen, like it's worth going for. And like, I luckily enough was told early on in life that like, if you don't ask the universe for something, it can't, tell you yes it can't give yeah. you that thing and so then you start to look at it more of like a numbers game and it's like oh all i really got to do is just be putting myself out there right you throw shit at the wall long enough some things are going to stick yeah and i think it's hard when you're focusing on like the all oh, these things that aren't sticking for me <laughs> like none of these things that i thought were going to be the things that were going to do this for me or that for me were those things it gets discouraging it, de- mm-hmm. it definitely does and so i guess along the lines of learning how to take more shots and take, you know, get in more reps so that I can be better at every shot that I am taking gives you the opportunity to actually like see some of those things through. And then just enough of that. It's like, it's like if one in 10 things you do succeeds to you by any metric, you can just keep, keep going until that one in 10 becomes two in 10. Yeah. And that's one fifth. And then sooner or later, that's two fifths. And now you're like, Oh, I'm almost at 50% of like every shot I take hits. I've and, always had this thing where, like, I, like I would have to wait until I'm, like, I'm not there yet. Like, I don't want to push out music until I can become a little bit better, or you know what I mean, or like, yeah. And that's it's sorry, but that's like the wrong way because the yeah, reality is like absolutely. you're never where you want to be. You just have to put it out and move on. Like that's not making the perfect the enemy of the good, especially internally, man. It's so hard because you hold yourself to this ridiculous standard of all the things that have influenced you in your world. You don't want to like fall short on that. You don't want to fall short on yourself and feel like you sold yourself short. But the reality is, is this the last song I'm going to write? No. So then why am I hanging on to it? Yeah. Because it's fun right now and I want to see it through and I want to make sure that I hit the benchmark for the vision or whatever. Okay. So like, Find a way to implement a process that says, okay, but here's my time limit on how long I'm going to allow this to go before I I have to move on. Right. Instead of obsessing over it. Like, even at church, like, uh, they were asking me to join the worship team. And, like, I knew, like, where I came from, like, what I've been in for the last 10 years, like, addicted to opiates um, in some form or another for 10 years. And coming out of that, like, I was going to church repeatedly on Sundays and, like, 
I always had this, like the thought of joining the worship team to me was like, oh, I'm nowhere near spiritual enough. Like maybe in a year from now, like if I can like get my shit figured out a little more, then, then I'll think about joining. And like, I remember talking to somebody about it. Like, I, I just don't feel like I'm there yet. And like, I can See, relate. I think you said it to me. I'm pretty I sure. I can relate that to so many things in my life that I'm like, I'm just not there yet. And like, I mean, like from the spiritual end, it's like, well, God just takes you as you are, like, or whatever you believe, like you're enough, like as you are. And, and like, you don't have to like, you're never going to get to where you think you should be. It's like that carrot and the stick thing, man. And so, I don't know. Yeah. Just take your shot. Yeah, man. I mean, look, I, I feel like my life, any of my successes that I have that I can tote and say that I did came from me taking the shot, like literally me getting the job that led to me being able to get the Emmy for the Penn State stuff. Yeah. It was a matter of me texting the director of our first music video ever and yeah. being like, hey, man, do you have any like freelance work you could give me? And he was like, hey, actually, I've been seeing the music videos you've been releasing. No I think way. we could use your editing style for Penn State football. Would you want to come in and maybe give that a go? And I was like, yeah, like <laughs> I didn't love the idea of going to be, I mean, football's on a schedule, so I'm going to be on a schedule. Right. Johnny doesn't do well with schedules. Yeah. So like <laughs> I, I had to be honest with myself, be like, all right, I'm going to be making a sacrifice here to show up and commit to this in a way that I would not otherwise be open or receptive to doing. But I was like, I'm going to learn some things from it and damn it if I didn't. So yeah. I took, I both took the leap and took a chance on myself and had no idea if I was going to fall flat on my face. You don't want to disappoint anybody. I don't know what like the media organization infrastructure looks like and how I'm going to be getting footage and turning it into things. Like I, I didn't right. know any of that, but I was like, I find that more often than not, I do just as well whenever I end up truly fucking lost and having to start from there than I do if I try to get somewhere specifically by design of my own. Yeah. Do you ever feel like a bull in a china shop when you're in those situations? And like, I guess I, I always felt like I'm taking up too much space, like learning this new job that I'm my current day job. Like, dude, I was so hyped, like hyped up on trying not to cause any disturbances as I learn because like, I don't feel like I know enough. Like I'm not ready to just be comfortable in my own skin here. And like, truth is like, I, you're not that big of a deal that that you're messing anybody's work. If you can topple like, the company, yeah. <laughs> they've got other problems because <laughs> they can sink the company. Yeah. yeah. So, like, how did you learn all that stuff? Like, did you find that taking on that job where you didn't know all the details of how you're going to get this where and here? Like, did you just kind of figure it out as as you went, or did somebody guide you? Like, I mean, I had some good mentors. Like, I had to. Yeah, I think like what helped me was I started editing with the music video stuff. I was editing my own footage. Yeah. So I was seeing where I was fucking up filming. <laughs> and then I would see working with other people's footage that I didn't film and I had to edit it. I was like, oh, this is bad. And then I start knowing that that's what I got to refine on my the pre in, you know, pre-production production side of things. I gotta ship things camera-wise. Gotcha. And then but in the interim, you learn these like tips and tricks and skills that kind of can save your ass a little bit by working with bad footage to make it look good. Yeah. And so when you start to kind of see the symbiotic relationship between the pre-production production side of things and then the post-production and finalizing side of things, it was easy to start to see where certain things are just sort of like connected to each other. Yeah. And if I can find a way to start to implement both of these into both, it's like 
constantly chipping away at both sides of the of the aisle to do it. I mean, do I feel like a bull in a china shop? Like, take a fucking look at me. I am literally a bull in a china shop. <laughs> I just try to stay away from the part of the china shop that is the very expensive goods. Because yeah. you could, you got to be willing to break a few eggs to make that omelet. That's just the way it is. If you can like be less afraid of messing things up then you can allow yourself to be in a position where you can be open to criticism and constructive or not. And I think it's good to get bad criticism, like hurtful criticism. Like I've had some tough love from some managers and some employers and like other artists I've worked with. And then I've had some tough love from people close to me, like my family members and stuff. And then I've also gotten like constructive criticism from all those same camps. And you just got to be able to not retain any of it as if it's a personal dig on you and, Mm -hmm. and you know, if you can isolate, I guess I've gotten pretty good at compartmentalization being like, okay, yeah, I was a piece of shit at this point in time. Or, oh, yeah, like I was not a great editor at this point and maybe I just phoned it in on this edit because I didn't really want to do the project and it wasn't really paying a lot or whatever. And then you eventually you're like, oh, shit, this is my integrity I'm putting out there. So it's like, do I really want to do this? Do I really like this? Like, well, yeah, I like media. I like photo. I like video. I like audio. I like all these things. So how do yeah. I kind of like get a little bit better at each one every day? And like, if you can just show up for yourself every day with the intent to be a little bit better to yourself, to your peers, to your art, you know, you have a better chance of seeing whatever you're going to define as your success that way than you do by trying to adhere to somebody else's standard of what that success should look like for you. That like, makes sense. Yeah. And, and that's the only way to get, you have to contextual, like the rest of this human experience, like none of y'all are real if I close my eyes for good. Like, right. Because like I'm not going to get the I, – like I, I'm not going to be able to experience what you guys experience with me after the fact, right? So mm-hmm. it's like try to just show up and do the due diligence of being a good person, doing better by yourself, by your family, your friends, your loved ones. Show up earnestly when you're going to create. Show up earnestly if you're going to just eat food. Like just be yeah. present. And I feel like just doing that and trying to be a little bit – mindful where I can like it's hard for me to be like strictly like like laser focused in and mindful of like a lot of things I guess in my life but I know that that's a shortcoming and I don't think I'm alone in that I think everybody kind of suffers from that so it's like so why am I holding myself to these really super stringent standards that nobody else can ever possibly meet on their own let alone me like we're we're all people that are rich as hell or can be completely miserable Mm mm-hmm are they successful? What does that look like? Like you have to, that's the other thing is really setting your own barometer for what success is going to be for you and being pragmatic and realistic about it. It's like, yeah, have the dreams, the goals, shoot for those. Cause if you, you know, you, you fall short of them, you're at least further along than if you had set a lower bar for yourself. Right. But if you can, in the same token, like if you can keep your systems and processes and, and, like short-term goals tangible so that you can meet them, mm-hmm. you can probably start to build up some confidence that you can c- continue to do that. And maybe that's what gets you closer to the goal. There's just, a, there's just so many variables, dude. There's just no way to be able to tell. Yeah. But either way, man, I'm glad that we're on this journey together. I'm super thankful that you're willing to come on the podcast and talk. And I don't think it's going to be the last time, actually. I feel like I'm going to have you on pretty frequently. Cause it's, cool, cause, like, we always are, down. We're always running into shit that I want to talk about and, and that you send me things and it gets me, spiraling thinking about a million different things and you're just like i said you're one of the people that i I just truly cherish the most in my life and you know i would think you would say you've had a pretty rocky you know road in life and i think i have in my own regard and 
I just don't think that it has ever like diminished our love for one another, especially once we found it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I think it's made us stronger as people and like, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me, dude. Yeah, man, I'm excited to get this episode out. I hope more people that are in the area that are doing music will, you know, take a crack at having you mix and master something for them or just be a part of their creative process because you're you're a really brilliant and gifted individual in your own regard in the ways that you think. And and if, you know, I hope you learn to see that more. I hope you learn to see and and really kind of embody that a little bit more. I don't think you have to walk in a room like, uh, you know, cock of the walk (laughs) to, to be like, good at what you do. I think you're, you're very humble and good at what you do. And I think that that's like its own sort of grace in in a w- room full of people where everybody's trying to buy to be like the number one. Yeah. Yeah. You're willing to be either. really good at what you do and tune out the noise. And that's like really special about you because it's going to help you go further. I think than the people that can't tune out the noise. Thank you, sir. I appreciate Thanks you. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for coming on, brother. I appreciate you. You're the shit. Love you, brah. Love you, brah. at all times with the universe. That is a wrap on another episode of the Collaborate Eye podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making this episode for you. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show, the part where I beg you to please hit that like button, subscribe, and turn on those notifications so you never miss an episode. And don't be shy. Give us a shout out on social media at Collaborate Eye podcast on all the cool platforms to share your thoughts, your feedback, and your love. Until next time, Collaborate Eye, baby.